Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Mind Sculptors podcast. I am your host, Callahan. On today's episode, Pongo and I are joined by returning guest Ryan from Playing With Power to give you the definitive CEDH tier list of 2022. Yes, that's right. It's that time of year again. But before we get into all of that, I just want to take a moment to thank today's sponsor, Into the AM. Into the AM is a clothing company that creates premium, high-quality apparel. They prioritize self-expression with their vibrant designs, and they prioritize unparalleled comfort with their high-quality fabrics and eco-friendly inks. I've tried these shirts myself. I'm wearing one right now, and I honestly love the look and feel of these shirts. I got a few of these. I really honestly... So I've gotten to wash this shirt once is it didn't shrink as much as I thought it might, uh, because a lot of times with extra like double XL shirts, I have this issue where they, they shrink a little bit. I have a pretty long torso. I have broad shoulders. So I have that hard issue of trying to find a shirt that like fits my body well. <laughs> and these honestly fit my body really well. And they have really cool design. Honestly, I love this. It reminded me of stuff from like Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, which is part of why I really liked it. This is actually one of their newer designs that is part of their graphic tee section. So you can go check out some of their latest designs. The other thing that I really like about this company is that they really stand by their products with a 30 day money back guarantee. They have hassle free returns and their shipping was pretty fast. It got to me really quickly. Right now, they are running a bundle deal for their graphic tees where you can get three tees for $60. So go use my link down in the description below and get 10% off your purchase today. Thanks so much for Into the AM for sponsoring today's episode. With that said, let's get into this tier list, guys. So we're here to update our, the definitive, the definitive CEDH tier list. And we changed it up a little bit this year. So last year, uh, the last two years we did, what was it? S through F tiers, yep. something like that, mm-hmm. like the traditional thing. We simplified it a little bit this year. So instead we have four tiers. There is the S tier, which is for what we consider to be optimal commanders. There is the A tier, which is for what we consider to be great commanders. Not quite optimal, but they're really great. And then there's the B tier for commanders that we think are good. They're not great, 
but they're they're good. You'll see them and they'll play well and they'll do well. Um, and then there is the C tier, which are fringe decks that you might see pop up, will do well in the right hands, but you know, it doesn't mean your your mileage may vary. Is kind of the idea behind that 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 tier. I really like the idea that we didn't do this commander is bad rankings anymore because mm-hmm. I think that there's just so much weight to that kind of thing. Hey, you're playing yeah. an F tier commander. This is a horrible commander or we have exceptions one, two and three because maybe it's a mono white commander. And if you're a really good pilot, it's great. But if you're not a great pilot, it's bad. All of those things just gave so many negative connotations to them. It yeah. either said this is a bad commander and you're a bad person for selecting it or <laughs> you're a bad pilot. Essentially, that's what we were kind of in, in not intentionally saying, but almost kind of unintentionally coming across as saying this stuff is bad. And I really like that we just went as low as fringe because fringe is not bad. That's not a bad yep. connotation. That's not a bad saying. And I like that. That's what we are using now uh, for our tiers. And that way, people, you know, they understand that. Well, you know, they said that so and so was a D or an F tier. I might not give it a shot. No, it's fine. Use if it's fringe tier, it's okay to be fringe tier. That's perfectly fine. And I really like that. In in for context for some of you out there, I am a big proprietor of like Arden Crom, of Lavinia, of I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I I play, right? That's kind of blue white X that I even I rank in the C tier because I was just like looking yeah. at it and I'm like listen either it doesn't see wide enough play or b it's harder for most people to play like there there those are some things that i think weigh into it um but with all that being said none of this is an indictment on your favorite commander uh none of this is a this is all in good fun we're giving our opinions on these and we're going to kind of give you an idea of what we think are the best options but that doesn't mean those are the only options. There's ton of, tons of stuff out there. So we went through uh, every commander that was on the database, that was on the Budget Brews database, and all three of us individually gave our ranking to all of these commanders. We went through them all. And so the ones that we were all in agreement on, we're just kind of going to breeze by here. Uh, so first let's look at our B tier commanders that we all agreed on were B tier. First off, we've got Bjorna and Wernog. And if you're not familiar with that, those are the stranger things commanders, uh, otherwise known as uh, tiny blue farm, those types of things. We all agreed that was a good commander pairing. Also, Brea Ethereum Sculptor is here in this category. Holden and Paco, we all agreed on. Ishai Jessica, Kess Dissident Mage, uh, Kinnon Bonder Prodigy, Malcolm and Timna, Minsk Beloved Ranger, the Naya one, Prosper Tomebound, Silvala Heart of the Wilds, which is the mo- mono green Silvala. Yes, there are two Silvalas. Um, <laughs> we all agreed that Shorakai was here in this B territory. Tim Natana, we ranked as B tier, and Tassiger, 
we the golden fang as b tier and finally the gitrog monster we put here in the b tier category and uh, a lot of good commanders almost like this is the good tier oh this yeah. is a good tier <laughs> it is a good tier um and the, you know there's a lot of good stuff here uh i know like for me when we simplified the categories there were some commanders that i had higher up uh, in previous years, like Kess, like Cassiger, mm-hmm. that I, when we look at it through this lens, I'm like, okay, maybe I'm evaluating them a little bit differently than, you know, these, the way we did it before. So for you guys, and we'll, I'll start for with Brian on this one, with these, was there anything in particular that stood out in the bead here that was like a big shift for you from the previous years to this year? Yeah, I would say without actually going into saying, well, this commander was this last year and this commander is this this year was um, from a shift perspective. Now that I could look at it through the lens that of, you know, hey, we have only optimal through fringe. This allowed me to not constantly play comparison against each other. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Joyra's this. So, well, is this better than Joyra? Therefore, it has to be higher. And having that kind of ranking system. Um, that really helped me in determining some of these rankings because of that. But actually going through and looking through some of them and rating them, yes, there were some where I was starting to get like, you know, this one what you, did used to be higher, but, you know, so many other decks were starting to get more tools that right. we saw it just kind of falling out of favor and or we had situations where people were, what's the best way to put it? Um, people were just playing with new toys and they're just yeah. getting forgotten about almost um, things like Brea, Ethereum Shaper, for example. Brea is Blue Farm's colors, you know, mm-hmm. so you could literally put Blue Farm, the 9998 into Brea and it will operate very similarly with the exception of the two advantage engines in the command zone. You have a combo outlet in the command zone, which is nice. But the idea that, you know, Brea is not there and instead the two advantage engines are kind of bring things a little bit more forward. And that's the stuff that kind of happens over time. Um, And so like, no, there's not like a specific, like, well, this one is strictly worse this year than it was last year. Not so much as I see meta shifts. And sometimes these Mm -hmm. meta shifts can cause these things to get bumped up and down. Like, for example, the one I would probably say was probably the biggest shift for me was cast dissident mage. Yep. So much Grixis good stuff has come out. We've come out with so many different combos for it. It just feels, which I know is so strange that Kess just isn't doing enough for us anymore. I, if I had to really just pick one, it would probably be Kess dissident mage. But yeah. the second one for me would probably be Tim Natana. Um, Tim Natana has always kind of had a home, if you will, in so many different metas because it was the meta buster. And there's always people who love to play the meta buster type decks. And I'm seeing a lot of people straying away from that in favor of the fringe. They're like, well, you know, I'm going to play this Tim Natana because I like to play this or that or the other. But now we've come out with so many different commanders that just just pack it right into itself that you don't even have to have that anymore. Like, for example, Tim Natana with the blood pod and stuff like that. Now you can get away with just running straight you know, stacks commanders that are a little bit more just oriented towards stacks, things like Shork, Hygienesis Engine, and things along those lines allow you to 
really lean harder into what you're trying to play. And you see the four color Timnatana kind of falling out of favor in favor of that kind of stuff. And I know that's not we the even only see thing, you even see stuff like Ardentana starting to be a lot more played than Timnatana. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is just like I, I feel like Arden complements Timnatana in just such a good way mm-hmm. because it allows ta- you to get like maximum value out of Tana, I feel like. Mm-hmm, I agree. Because uh, it's like the only deck I've ever seen Colossal Hammer actually be worth playing in. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Congo, for you, were there in this B tier here, were there any that, you know, you felt like you either softened up on or you got more like higher on from last year? Um, well, I mean, I have to echo what Ryan was saying. Where I think last year, if you go and check out that video, and I highly recommend you do, I uh, was applying a sort of <laughs> yeah, I was applying, <laughs> I was applying a more, but um, not not that I didn't this year, but I was applying sort of an objective set of criteria to each commander, um, and so you know if a commander like Kess, for instance, fit into a particular color combination. Uh, I would rate it very, very highly, kind of just sort of off the bat. Um, whereas this year, I've sort of softened up a little bit on that, where, you know, obviously, as Ryan was saying, um, Kess is still in very, very good colors, but um, I'm sort of extending my criteria to say, you know, kind of, again, like what Ryan was talking about. Um, yes, Kess is in these great colors, but there's like so many other commanders in those colors that I would prefer to play. Um, right. That it's less to do with Kess's power level, you know, just purely to do with Kess's power level and also to do with kind of like my excitement toward that particular commander. Yeah. So, so this is, you know, um, a tier list, uh, ratings that have to do as much with power level as they do with my own kind of personal feelings about playing that commander, um, and, and how excited I am to play with that commander. Uh, so Kess certainly is one that I think, you know, has, has lowered, um, you know, Kinnan, obviously I think in the past I, I put higher as well and it's a bit lower this, this year. Um, and that's, I think primarily to do with the fact that, um, you know, people have, have started to wake up a little bit more to Kinnan. You realize um, they need to remove of, the fucking Kinnan. Yeah. Since, uh, since some of the big innovations. Yeah. Since some of the big innovations have occurred with the deck. Um, and then, yeah. So I guess for one that perhaps uh, is a little bit higher than it was, or that I might have put it based on my previous criteria. Um, hmm, it's a good question. Maybe something like, I don't know, Shorakai? Just because I feel like blue the, white has the worst win cons. Well, that's it. <laughs> what um, what win so, cons? Yeah. <laughs> um, it it kind of feels like that's it. As a blue white deck, perhaps I would have put it lower in the past. Maybe, yeah. maybe less last year than you know, maybe the, even the year previous. Mm-hmm. Uh, just you know, based on the fact that Shurikai itself brings so much to the table. Um. Yeah. So so yeah. Let's let's say I'm, maybe blue white as a whole. <laughs> I will say a, a commander that I definitely got a lot more that I would have ranked lower in the past and am a lot high, like much lower in the past 
and am a lot higher on now in this B section right here is Nimrus. I I am continually impressed by that that deck. Like mm-hmm. I I I am continually every time I see it get played, whether it's Cicada in the MLC or somebody like a Sinestra plays it uh every now and again. Every time I see it get played, it is so good. It is what Rashmi wishes it was. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's yeah, sure. it's just it, it it's also my type of bullshit um because it's just control and I I love good good control. So Nimrus is one of those decks that I'm like I I think is a lot more, people sleep on that deck a lot more than they should and I think it's a very good very good uh, strategy mm-hmm. moving up now to the a tier the commanders we all agreed were great uh first year we have bruce thrasios then we have jessica timna quark sakashima here as the third one malcolm timna in thrasios vile smasher and really i don't see any surprises here other than quark sakashima in Malcolm Tana have really jumped up, I feel like, not only for us, but in the CEDH community as a whole, as becoming legitimate like contenders on big stages. Yeah. I think if you look at the beginning of the year, um Malcolm got away with a lot more than yeah. it does now. Yeah. Um so that's one thing I'll say about Malcolm. Uh, but you know, it put in a little bit. Uh, it, it had a few successful tournament runs uh, where pilots did quite well with the deck, and people are kind of waking up to uh, how much of a threat Malcolm poses. So, yeah, I mean, certainly it it deserves its its tier, its A tier yeah. rating. But um, you know, it, it's one of those situations where maybe it's like a little bit like Kinnan, where you know, maybe give it another year time. And perhaps we will be saying, okay, well, you know, you can't quite get away with it as easily with I'm Malcolm curious. Tana. Yeah. I'm curious how much of it is a result of a the interaction that people are packing because of the the so much so many people have been going to this Grixis base turbo nas, uh very instance and sorcery heavy strategy that the in interaction that people are packing because of that is not able to deal with what malcolm tana is doing Mm -hmm. and i think that may be a piece of that and i'm curious if there is a meta shift in between now and next year that may push malcolm tana a bit out of this higher class of uh, of commanders you have Um, a lot of really big talking heads in the community that play a lot of turbo Nas and mm-hmm. they start to talk people out of playing certain interaction pieces that mm-hmm. are in a turbo Nas frame of mind or a turbo Nas strategy makes perfect sense. You're playing proactively. You want to stop what they're trying to stop you from doing from right. you from doing not necessarily stop what they're doing. And it gets more and more greedy and it gets to the point where you're saying things like mana drain and counterspell aren't good enough anymore. Whereas mana drain and counterspell, the two blue pips, yeah, is a little bit tough to ask in a four or five color pile. 
but it also counters the glint horn buccaneer that they're casting from their hand mm -hmm. whereas all you're sitting on is a dispel and you're like i guess i just lose and that's because a lot of people are that are not playing turbo Nas are taking those same strategies that are for turbo Nas and applying them to non turbo Nas based decks they yep. don't know they they're, they're not it's it's i understand why they're doing it um but it's just a matter of context that you have to understand that it, it where that is coming from don't let that sway your opinion or change your deck based upon maybe what you're still trying to accomplish if you're more yeah. mid-rangey don't remove counter spell and kind of train from your deck like you need to be able to stop these people with these creature based combos and malcolm tana capitalized on that when we went so heavy into the Nas and grixis mm -hmm. territories and malcolm tana was just pulling out wins you could maybe yeah. get their neo form you know like that was that was if oh, you were lucky darn. That's, you know, you know? <laughs> but like beyond that it was like oh i really have nothing for this because it's all activated abilities after uh, next tier we have, we only, uh, this is the optimal, the best tier. One of them has been a mainstay of the top for the entirety of the tier list video series. And the other has not. Uh, <laughs> it has certainly worked its way up here, but the first is Najila. Obviously, we all agreed on Najila. And the second one, these were the only two that we were unanimously S tier on was Najila and Winota. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I tell you what, I, I have been consistently blown away by just how consistently good Winota has been. It is shocking to me how like even a year ago we looked at Winota and we we're like, oh, it's still in white red like it's still in boros it's not that good and now we look at it we're like no it's like one of the best decks in the form like <laughs> i think winota is the poster child of what we've been talking about for a bit now though um where yes again you know at this point in history it fe i feel comfortable giving it the s tier but people are again waking up to winota um and i think that we will start to see a meta shift where people decide to stop losing to Winota. And I think part of that is, you know, for example, not just playing more like extra turn effects that kill you. Um, and instead respecting, you know, the fact that like you have to interact with people, um, you know, things like that. Um, so, you know, will Winota still be the boogeyman that she is next year? hard to say it, it really kind of depends on uh sort of how people's deck building or, or how the meta forces shake out as mm -hmm. it were it's just wild i just feel like the deck just keeps getting better and better every year like every year i see it can like one the first year it came out it was like oh this is pretty good this is all right and then last year i saw it and i was like okay this is really good but i don't it's still boros and then this year it's just top so many events at this point that now i'm just like i mean it's gonna win something it, it won hunt city mm -hmm. it's top four to other events like it's just mm -hmm. so consistently good that i can't look at this card now and be like it, it's not top tier but i i don't I mean, know it's as, it, as long as they keep printing humans and non-humans it's always going to get better <laughs> <laughs> so that was that's kind wow. of the folly of it yeah <laughs> Oh, man. So now with that, 
expensive uh, humans and cheap non-humans. That's right? exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So let's get into the 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 meat of the episode here. Um, and these are the 17 commanders that we're going to be talking about in detail here today. Uh, the first one here on our list, we're going to start with blue, is Urza Lord High Artificer. And we're about to get a bunch of new Urzas. So this is going to, you know, we're going to have to start being very specific with our Urza terminology. Uh, but uh, Urza Lord High Artificer. Um, so Ryan ranked it at an A, Pongo ranked it at a B, and uh, I also ranked it at a B. So, uh, Ryan, really, when you look at this, you gave it the highest rating of all of us. What are your thoughts on Urza and why you rank it a little like as the great, not good? So, I think a large part of that will come with the context of whenever you're talking about commanders in competitive EDH, a lot of times you're not always talking about one individual deck because mm -hmm. CEDH is EDH, it's commander. You can build things a lot of different ways. Um, Urza Lord High Artificer can be built as a poly tyrant version or a just regular mono blue control version. And depending on which one you're talking about, can depend greatly on the how good the deck is. If everyone's always saying, oh, well, the, uh, everyone's using the polytyrant version. The polytyrant version is the best version. This is the one that everyone should be playing. The other one is garbage. Then I would be more inclined to give it a B as well. And we would have all been unanimous. However, Urza Lord High Artificer can be built two different ways. Polytyrant and control. The control version of Urza is better than polytyrant. You can at me on Twitter and I'll block you. Just kidding. <laughs> but I, I'm get sorry. In the comments. Yeah, yeah. In the comments. <laughs> but, but like, but like for real, it's it's better. It's a better version. You have so many great blue creatures that you are intentionally foregoing just so you can flip into your hullbreaker horror or your, you know, your tight spout tyrant. And you're just losing the game in the meantime because someone's just smacking you with their 4-4 Winota or their 4-4 Krom, and you can't block it or you can't do anything about it. And, oh, maybe I could cast a bounce spell or whatever, but get out of my face with that. Of course, there's always that argument. But there are so many great creatures that you can't have, like, I don't know, Gilded Drake. What an amazing card that you can't run just so you Ledger can Shredder. flip into, yeah, Ledger Shredder, that you can flip into a Hullbreaker Horror. It is not the best version. And people are afraid to say that for some reason, and I don't know why. I have consistently seen the Polytyrant version of Urza flounder at tables not go anywhere not make an impact on the game and just straight lose and i've seen the other version be a force to reckon with every time and always constantly be the threat at the table it top forward punt city yeah that's what i was gonna say the the control version is what top forward punt city yeah, wasn't it? not the polytyrant version the 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 regular control which is really good blue spells best color in the entire game you, you play the best cards of those colors and you have a really right. formidable deck. And that's, uh, you know, when I put that ranking in, it was based primarily on the fact that I wanted to let people know that this isn't just these commanders don't just pilot one deck. They can pilot mm -hmm. completely different strategies and they could go do completely different things. And based upon the fact that Urza can also technically be just this good control deck. 
it really does put in good numbers. It does a really good yeah. job. And I do think it is deserving of an A tier based upon that. So Pongo, you and I gave it a B here. What are your your thoughts on it? Because I, I know that from speaking to you previously, I know that you don't necessarily agree with Ryan's opinion on that because I think you have been more of a proprietor of the poly tyrant version. So give me give me some of your takes on this and why you think it's not quite great, but it's good. Well, I think this speaks to why I have Urza just in the B tier in general. Um, so I used to play quite a bit of Urza, you know, being sort of um, part of a group of people who worked really hard early on trying to solve the deck. Um, and so while playing that deck, and, you know, this was back when I wasn't playing the Polytyrant version of the deck, um, I always struggled with how difficult it is to actually close out the game with that deck. Um, and I think that this still holds true um, to this day. And I mean, it is something that the Poly Tyrant version of the deck does do better, in my opinion, mm -hmm. um, being able to convert into an actual win uh, when the opportunity presents itself. <clears throat> that being said, um, I can get where Ryan's coming from, where um, the sort of, let's say, UPS version of the deck, if you, mm -hmm. <laughs> you want to go for the, the deep cut there, yep. <laughs> uh, does have substantially higher qu card quality uh, just in terms of the actual creature package it can play and support because it doesn't have to omit all of that uh, just to try to uh, enable the um, polymorph-type combos. Um, and so on the one hand, I am a strong proponent of card quality as well, uh, mm -hmm. as anybody who knows me well will no doubt be aware of. Um, so to me, that just speaks to kind of a tension in Urza uh, that can go, that goes sort of in both ways. You know, you can't have your cake and eat it with Urza. And for me, that's why it feels like I have to put it in the B tier. Um, and that speaks perhaps less to, you know, the absolute power level of the deck. Um, and it, it also speaks to um, just kind of my own personal feelings playing the deck, which is, uh, for me, somewhat of a frustrating experience. I'm kind of in this position where I agree with both of you. I think that I, I think that it is a frustrating deck to pilot, regardless of which one that you play. Um, and I think part of that is is that I think that, and this is something we touched on earlier, is that blue white has like pretty bad win cons. I think mono blue has even worse win cons because uh, it's just like it's half the card pool that you had previously and i think blue is a color and this is probably a really hot take so strap in i think blue is a color is in commander not a good focal point color as far as being the driving thing that uh like your whole deck like if your whole deck is based around blue, you need something to supplement that to get you to victory. I feel like I think a lot of blue and I think that's what the poly tyrant list is trying to do. Right. It's trying to pull this big thing out that lets you bounce all these things and is trying to convert your card advantage and the cards that you get and your card quality that you can have in uh, mono blue 
into a win, but you're doing that at the expense of other good cards. The downside of the version with the good cards, so you don't really have a good payoff to to win the game. Uh, and so one of the things for me is I look at this and I go, you know, I could play Thoracle in it, but that feels like a terrible card to play in Mono Blue. Um, like there, like my win cons in Mono Blue aren't great. So if I'm going to play it as Control, I'm going to want to add a color, and that's typically going to be black because then I can play Thoracle. And so, it, like I, I, I think it's one of those things where it is one of like what it's. I think it's the only color that isn't black. Like I think blue and black are the two colors that when you try to play them on their own, they are fine. They do okay, but they aren't as good as they are as they can be when they're in combination with other colors is kind of how I feel about blue as a color strategy in Commander overall. Um, You would say that like the synergy of blue with another color is kind of stronger than the the sum of its individual components. Yeah, that that's exactly what I would I, I kind of feel like is I I mean I played Urza in the ninety nine of a lot of decks and I'll tell you what it's a fantastic card even in the ninety nine mm-hmm. um and I just I I don't think blue is particularly good at closing out games it's really good at making the game go long uh but. <laughs> Yeah, you I know, mean, it's, it's, the, that's the problem with lacking tutors, right? Yeah, it's very difficult to kind of just have the card that you need when you need it and win the game when you want to win. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Looking over to our next card here, it's a mono red card. And this is a card that uh, we're going to talk about here for a moment, but it is Goto Bandit Warlord. If you don't know what the card does. Look at the screen. I'm going to put the card up. <laughs> um, it is uh, everybody's favorite card that you have to deal with at a uh, tournament because uh, every tournament has at least three Goto players there. And uh, mm-hmm. yep. Pongo and I have it ranked as a B tier. Uh, Ryan, you put it up there in S tier. And, and uh, you know, obviously it's because it's the best deck, you know. <laughs> I mean, there's no bias here. Right? There's there's absolutely <laughs> zero bias. So we, we we revamped our tiers. S was optimal. There is no more of an optimal card than you just <laughs> cast one card and win the game. And it's in the command zone. That's the definition of optimal to me. I don't know about you guys, but like that is all you have. Combo, to, I mean, combos with mana, you know? It's yeah, great. combos with mana. I think that's one of the most <laughs> abundant resources in this game. I don't I don't see how that doesn't fit the definition of optimal to a T, quite frankly. Yeah. <laughs> but but in all seriousness, um, so what happened is last year I ranked this a B as well with all of you guys. Um, and then the Red Love Discord got wind of it. And they gave me the traitor role because I betrayed my brethren. And I still to this day have a black <laughs> role in that discord. I'm like one person who has the role still. And so I'm 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 needlessly shilling <laughs> to get rid of that traitor role. You were trying to regain your. your I was glory. I was trying to regain my honor. <laughs> so it is S tier until the traitor role is gone. <laughs> Okay. They're just going to okay. rename it Reformed Trader. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Former Trader. Former Trader. 
Oh my goodness. Well, but, moving over to yeah. Uh, yeah a, anyway, the long short is just that you know Goto is really good. I've had Goto for years, and depending on which version of Goto you're playing, it's you know it can be a very very fast deck. And what do you what did you just say? You just said you know you've always got to deal with this commander. Once you deal yeah. with it, a lot of times it's it's good. Just about any removal hurts Goto really mm-hmm. bad. But it's always the the first threat at the table. Uh, I, I think that this actually. Um, it's a really great example of how powerful the so-called B-tier decks can be. Yep. Yeah. Um, because I think Goto, you know, it it's a deck that I would play 100%. Yeah. Like, it's 100% my kind of deck. Um, I love the consistency aspect of it, where you kind of just have to mulligan for, for mana in many situations. Um, and then you pretty much have your whole combo assembled out of the command zone. Um, and it is capable, as Ryan was saying, of going very, very fast. And it actually has pretty good card quality uh, just because Wizards keeps printing really stupid red cards. Yes, they do. Um, yeah. So, I mean, <clears throat> like, why do I ultimately put it in the B tier if I have such good things to say about it? Well, I mean, it it's kind of more to do with the fact that people understand the deck very well at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be interacted with kind of by pretty much every type of interaction, mm-hmm. whether that's artifact removal or creature removal. It, it does kind of suffer to two very, very commonly hate, played hate pieces, the Opposition Agent, which even sees play in a lot of the Turbo decks, um, and, and Dranath Magistrate, Dranath. Yep. right? And so you don't have necessarily great um, like backup uh, lines for that. And, you know, I think I almost put Winota in the A tier kind of for similar reasons where... Um, it is disruptible if you know what it's doing, and it is it falls pretty hard if people like just mulligan to a Dranith Magistrate, something like that. But it, I put it in the S tier to make a statement, which was that like people are not respecting this deck enough. They're not yeah. mulliganing a- appropriately for the deck. And so if I don't put it in the S tier, if I don't do, you know, this is a public service announcement, which is you will continue losing to Winota if you keep thinking of it as like that Boros deck that mm-hmm. like, you know, maybe right. on turn four, I need to be concerned about, right? Like, you got to be worried about it immediately. Yeah, exactly. um, you're, you're doing the Lord's work, Congo. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for doing that. Um, on to the next red deck. It is a red deck that, speaking of Monarch events, actually won. Uh, what was it called? Marchesa way back in, believe it or not, March. And uh, it is Magda Brazen Outlaw. And this is a commander that did really well in the tournament scene there for a little bit did really bad in the MLC as I predicted because everybody in the MLC knew exactly what it was doing. Um, Ryan, you have it at an a and Pongo and I again have it at a B. So I I think again, uh, what makes you kind of, you know what, actually let's do it this way. We'll do it a, a different way. Pongo with Magda, what, in your mind puts it at a b tier instead of an a um so i think for me a big part of the reason why i wouldn't put it in the a tier is if you kind of look at a lot of the commanders that i put in the a tier the majority Mm -hmm. of them have one thing in common and it's that they contain blue and black in their in their color (laughs) identity that's Um, fair that's fair yeah so reasonable yeah um as I was saying, 
uh, sort of at the beginning of this recording, um, I did still apply some of the same heuristics, uh, some of the same criteria as I applied last year, which is for me, um, color combination still very, very important. And I think blue and black plus, uh, by my estimation, is is a requirement to get into those higher tiers. Um, just blue black on its own in the past would have been enough for me to say that this is like a good deck, uh, possibly like you know like B plus uh, A sort of uh, or A minus sort of tier, uh, mm-hmm. and then you start adding colors and you start to push above that. I think Magda's um, sort of biggest issue is again just the the color identity, the sort of the card quality. Um, and also, uh, you know, once people kind of get what the deck is doing, uh, it loses a little bit of its, uh, it loses some strength just because, um, people now know that it has like instant speed win conditions. People are starting to understand, uh, the requirements for those win conditions, the points of interaction. Um, just kill the Magda. It's that easy. Just kill the Magda. Yeah, just kill I the mean, or- commander <laughs> is the kind of the catchphrase for most decks. For a lot of the commander focused yeah, strategies. Winota, yeah. Godo, yeah, like- Magda, just kill the commander and usually a good spot. Right. And I mean, so that's a, a problem that a lot of these commanders share, which is that uh, they don't necessarily have great backups at, uh, outside of their commander reliance strategies um, until you start looking at blue and black. And at which point you kind of, you know, you can be reliant on more or less your entire 99 or 98 without necessarily caring about your commander. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say that for me, Magda's a very, very good deck, very, very strong. Mm-hmm. And again, I love red. Don't get me wrong. Like my, right. you know this because I've like I've played against you with my Ragavan deck on stream. Yeah, I, you know, mono red <laughs> is my jam, uh, and I would play the hell out of Magda. I think it's a very very good deck. Um, it's just that I think that it lacks some of the necessary tools to be uh, consistently great against command uh, players. Excuse me, who are going to uh, have your number and, and kind of know what you're up to, Ryan? So you think it's an A, so you obviously have a better opinion. What is kind of your rebuttal to that? So one of the things I think that is really good about Magda is that it's in mono red, and I have to double down against that traitor role that I talked about <laughs> earlier, so I was just hedging my bets. <laughs> it's actually like a French commander. No, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but in all honesty, what I really love about Magda is that it offers the unique opportunity to allow you to tutor in a color that mm-hmm. notoriously does not let you do that. It also right. allows you to tutor not for just nonsense that you normally don't need, but like any artifact or dragon, right? So the dragon part is oh, so it's good. so <laughs> random, but it's yep. so good. Oh, like, it's so good. Yeah. And so a lot of times when you look at things like Grixis lists and stuff like that, a lot of times those 99, 98 cards are pretty locked in. Your mm-hmm. your idea of shifting to the meta is usually like one or two cards. But with Magda, you have so many more available slots to be able to really cater to your meta. It's a type of deck that allows you to build to your meta, and it scales so well when you do that. You run in a lot of uh, Underworld Breach decks and Turbo decks, that's fine. You get more artifact hate out of it. And a lot of people see Magda as, well, she just wins really quickly. You know, she wins fast, and then that's what you got to do. It's like Godo. It's actually not like that per se a lot of times if you're piloting it properly you'll see magda sit on 10 treasures 
and just sit there with nothing, you know, and not crack them. They're, they're, everyone's wondering why it's mm-hmm. not being cracked because what's going to happen is they're going to try and win over top of Oracle and they're going to be able to do it with backup and things like that. And if you're piloting that deck that way, you really find yourself in a very advantageous position. It also mm-hmm. allows it. One of the biggest proponents I also have when it comes to heuristics and philosophies, when it comes to commander and magic in general, is that if you can't break parity on stacks, you probably shouldn't be running that stacks piece. And I know that there's there's a there's somewhat of a hot take in there and all that. And I understand. <laughs> yeah, it's a shocker. I'm absolutely shocked. But so many people do. And they're like, yeah. here's a three ball in my whatever deck. And now everything of mine costs zero, three as well. I was like, no, no. But Magda allows you to circumvent so many stacks pieces that are crippling for so mm-hmm. many other decks and it breaks parity on them and it wins at instant speed and it wins without casting spells so you can break parity on a rule of law you can break parity on a three ball you can break parity on all of these different things and everyone just doesn't know what to do because of that it has suffered after one marchesa undefeated by the cats out of the bag I, uh, part of the reason I think Cubido, I believe that was his name. Sorry if I mispronounced mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of the reason that they won was because no one knew what Magda did. Right. And as he, as they were going through the loop, they were like, wait, what? Uh, can anybody? What's w- happening? W- what's happening right now? <laughs> and they're like, oh, my God, we just died. And we had no idea it was coming. Yeah. And so that was a big part of it. The Clark um, effect, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Suddenly you have Kark and Sakashima and you're, the game's just over and you don't know what happened. And by the time you realize it's time to interact, it's too late. Mm-hmm. They've, they've just got you because they're 13 pieces deep in the stack and they just, they, they've got you. And that's what will... Magda does as well. And the flexibility of it, the, uh, the ability to break parity on it, the ability to, you know, uh, win at instant speed, all those things I think is really, really good. Magda is not a super easy deck to pick up at first, but once you do pick it up, it really scales well with your skill and knowledge of the deck. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's the reason I pretty much chose that as an A. Please remove my trader role, Red Love Discord. <laughs> I really want my trader role gone. <laughs> I, I agree with like every point you're making, but here's why I will ultimately keep it at a B for now. Mm-hmm. It runs seven. No. Eight pretty awful cards, and they're the one drop dwarfs. It runs more than eight pretty awful cards. To it, be fair. Yeah, it, it, those are just it, the dwarfs. So yeah, those does, are just so the does, dwarfs. Yeah, that's so does Winota, right? And she's yeah. S tier. But and that, here's and the so, difference, I, and I understand the difference. What you're saying, yeah. yeah, the difference with Winota though is that it runs those cards, and it very quickly turns, like it very immediately turns those into better cards very quickly mm-hmm. where with Winota it takes a little bit of setup it's a little bit slower on the jump and for me I think that card quality is ultimately why I don't like see it as hot like I agree with every point you're saying mm-hmm. but like I like if anybody knows anything about how I like to play decks is I am just like I, I want to play good cards like more than anything and you so, never want to be disappointed by your top deck. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I want to have good top decks. Yeah. And so like, if we're like, it, it, some of that comes from playing the rock for years and years, right. Is just being like, listen, I'm used to having better top decks than my opponents. I want to continue to do that. 
And so I think that's ultimately what I think holds Magda back. I think if those cards, if they print more dwarfs that are better, that mm, they kind of do, do more relevant yeah. things, like anything remotely relevant, I think I would be way more willing to put this at an A because then I can sit there and look at this and go, man, this is just synergizes across the board, has some good cards. Uh, yeah, these might not be the best cards, but it synergizes pretty well. Um, there there definitely yeah. are some decent dwarves out there. I know that the little one drop ones are do nothing dwarves. They're just to make mm-hmm. treasures. It's really it's like a right. strike it rich, basically. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, there are a couple that, you know, a lot of Magda players have started running the ones that like destroy artifacts when they enter and stuff right. like that, that are yeah. also allow you to synergize. And people have started to warm up to that as Magda has tried to finally move out of the turbo territory mm-hmm. and more into the mid rangey territory it's really helped the deck a lot but i agree i I would just i agree i would really like to see like dwarven trader and dwarven grunt removed from the deck and replaced with like just a better card like only ragavan was a dwarf pirate i'm just like (laughs) i I don't think that you I, i don't think those two cards add enough to your density of dwarves that it's ultimately that important because you're still always going for universal automaton anyway. So it's mm-hmm. like, just play better cards. That's kind of how I feel about it. But I, I, I think I, I agree with that sentiment. I think, and I understand where Ryan's coming from, where obviously mm-hmm. um, there's like inherent synergy. Um, and I think the comparison with Winota is interesting, but ultimately it's a question of degree mm-hmm. um, of, of synergy. And I think, you know, if you look at like Magda, the synergy is is reasonable and obviously you want like at least that first dwarf um for combo purposes mm-hmm. um now take like sort of i guess the next level which would be something like timna where you know you can be playing like opposition agent collector oof mm-hmm. even your mana dorks and you're just stapling like draw a card onto all of those and right. so that's just like you know kind of the next level of synergy and you get to kind of play like better cards that you also then make better because of your commander if you take Winota as sort of like the ultimate example of that, the cards themselves are not great, but each one says like draw a card and like make five mana, which right. is like absurd. <laughs> so well, and, and and I think that was the other thing that I I also want to point out here is I think that the vanilla creatures that you see in Winota are either zero mana mm-hmm. and like cost you they cost you nothing to play. So you're effectively thinning your deck to some some degree or another, or they have haste or evasion, or some form of like yeah like they're definitely bad. Has like first strike yeah like yeah, they're not Phyrexian great walker yeah, yeah. zero three but, yeah. as soon as Dranid magic zero... play they're terrible right yeah but like, exactly and that but the mag also suffers the same yes problem. exactly yeah and and that's where I kind of look at that and I go I can justify it in one note a little bit more. Because Winota itself can very quickly, the moment it comes down, transfer, convert those into better cards. Whereas Magda, it takes like three or four turns before you get any sort of payoff from your Dwarven Grunt. Uh, I mean, so. Dwarven Grunt on its own. Yes, you're right. Whereas Winota has just got a Phyrexian Walker and a Winota can turn that into a win slowly but surely. 
Magda, it not card advance. Well, I mean, maybe in some ways, because you do tutor it directly onto the battlefield. Um, mm-hmm. right. And once you do that, yeah. then you're just you're set to go. And you don't even need yeah. to necessarily go infinite with it. Sometimes actually, there's plenty of times when Magda will just fetch up a key silver bullet to a problem that's about to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's very frequently what Magda does nowadays. Yeah. And didn't used to do that. It was it used to be very, very turbo-y and just ran whatever it could do to turbo as fast as possible. And it doesn't do that as much anymore. Um, I like that I it's playing like it. Spine of Ishaw and God Pharaoh's statue. And like it's playing, it's, it's playing got a crazy more sexy game. Like yeah, it gets got I crazy really lines. like that approach to it. So um, one of the first things you do is generate dragons. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it runs Utvara Hellkite, mm-hmm. or at least it did at one point. And you get to choose your dragon, too. So that's fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> and, I, and some of the changelings yeah. are also dragons. Mm-hmm. Fun, yeah, yeah, because you fetch up also uh, dwarves. Yeah, you can also fetch up. Um, gosh, it escapes me at the moment. The one that makes all of your things changelings. And then you can just fetch up anything. You're oh, the mask. Oh, uh, yeah, that's it. You yeah. fetch up mask yeah. wood. Now you can just fetch up every creature in your deck. Right. Um, yeah. But I feel and, like that's even a more reason to just not play the derpy one mana dwarfs that don't do anything and just play a better one drop. Like, and I, there I, might be times when Magda might steer in that direction. If we get enough create treasure payoff type stuff, that isn't just directly play Magda. gold hound. Yes. Play gold hound. Gold hound. Like, the- why, why aren't you playing gold hound? <laughs> like, that's, I mean, that's, I, I don't there, know. there are decks that play ancient copper dragon because why not? It's a great, you, you, you crack five at the, at the end step. Get the ancient copper dragon, swing, hope you get above 10, and the game is yours, man. That's yeah. so fun. Well, moving on to the next one. I could yell about card choices for hours. Um, we have done that previously. Next one is Yuriko the Tiger's Shadow. This is our everybody's favorite Demir uh ninja that is the most annoying thing in the world to play against because none of your hate works against it Mm -hmm. um it 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 completely ignores draneth it completely ignores graph diggers cage like all of that stuff it's just like yeah whatever it's fine i'm still still gonna come into the battlefield um so uh you're you're never removing her yeah (laughs) yeah yeah it's just like it it doesn't do anything and it doesn't add to the command tax which is wild yeah um Jeet's commander tax yep that yep. is it it has that derevi effect but it's better which it's like you know derevi was an infamously well-designed yeah. popular card yeah that they decided they needed to just double down on that you know yeah hold my beer yeah but so so pongo and i have it here at a b uh ryan you're kind of looking at it a little bit stronger as an a uh you do say here in your notes that you cannot build yuriko weak it's too strong out of the box out of the box uh, kind of elaborate on that ryan like sure it's it's you you have not seen a weak one because i've seen yuriko with yeah. countless times yeah uh <laughs> i have i so basically the long short of it is um if you build yuriko with any synergy at all it means if you're putting at least five ninjas in it, it's already strong. It cheats commander tax, like you said, and on all the other points. So I won't reiterate those. But really what it boils down to is that 
Yuriko is just one of those commanders that just constantly chips away at you and mm. in doing what it's just trying to do anyway is weakening all of your other strategies, providing card advantage in the command zone while getting around things like notion thieves and stuff like that. And just breaks all the rules that is in our current meta that we use to try and stop other people's decks. Gets around Dranith, gets around, you know, draw hate, gets around all of these different things, gets around commander tax. So it's only still ever going to cost blue. And it's in arguably two of the best colors in our format, too. So you just. Oh, it's that, that's not an argument that it yeah. just they are the two best colors. Like, and so you just run <laughs> every best card in that color and some ninjas. And you have a very formidable deck that's also quite easy to pilot. You just simply you can hand that deck to somebody who's never played Yuriko <laughs> before and they will probably they play four games. They'd probably win at least one of them, even never piloting it before because Yuriko can just get there because it also can play the things that Turbo Nas doesn't play. And if you try and build Yuriko strictly as Turbo Nas, I think that you kind of rob Peter to pay Paul. A lot of times Yuriko's yeah. providing hard advantage in the command zone already. So put your misdirections in there, put your commandeers in there and stuff like that, because you're still casting them for free. You just have to pay them with other things. But you already you usually always have a full grip of cards anyway. And there's so many like other than the ninjas themselves, which can which actually got a huge boost in Kamigawa, by the way. Um a lot There's of stuff really, got a huge boost in Kamigawa. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. A, a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so because of that, the ease of picking it up, the the how easy it almost pilots itself, not not to trivialize any skilled pilots out there. Um, but basically you just swing sideways with ninjas. That's really good. And mm -hmm. it chips away at the Adnaz player, making the Adnazes weaker, and plays a lot of really good. Uh, it, like I said, it runs the best colors in the format, cheats all this stuff. I, I guess I'm just repeating myself at this point, but um, I've just I've never seen I've never played in a pod with Yuriko where I didn't see Yuriko win at least once because it's just just raw power right into the command. I will say it, it's really neat to like I, I, I like where Yuriko is now versus where it was in previous years. I've seen it because, I you know, so many people were you know, doing the like pure into the best turbo Nas, yes. you know, thing. They were trying to build Dem Demir turbo Nas with some yeah, ninjas and, and it wasn't it, working because they would reveal, a you know, a chain of vapor off the top and a dispel. When they would, maybe they like, could be I've seen so many stuff. people just flip over lion's eye diamond. Yeah. And I'm just mm -hmm. like, why the hell is this in your deck, fam? Like <laughs> this is, um, yeah. The decks that like, lean harder into the actual Yuriko synergy do much better, in my opinion, while still being and able it, to do things like play Deadly Rollick. You know, I, I like that you can I like the 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 deck that's on the database of playing it as a controlled tempo deck. I think that's definitely like the way to go with it. If you're mm -hmm. going to be playing it, Pongo, I know you're not as high on it. So what is kind of your things that hold you back from ranking it as highly as Ryan? So you may remember, I actually had this originally rated as an A and I was like, I kind of sat on that for a little bit and I was like, mm. yeah, yeah, I, I kind of thought back on some games that I played against Yuriko, you know, relatively recently. And I was like, man, Yuriko has like highs and lows, like big time, big time highs, yeah. big time lows. Mm -hmm. There are some games where 
you're getting those Yuriko triggers and you're revealing, you know, the horses, the commandeers and the table just kind of feels like it's like absolutely being held hostage. And like, mm-hmm. it just feels impossible to win. And you're just like, okay, like let's just get to the next game because like, I can't beat what I've seen you have and you have so much inevitability that like, it just feels almost pointless to continue. And then there are the games where it's like, okay, well, I'm revealing more ninjas, like more one drops. Mm-hmm. And I just, for whatever reason, I just can't stop revealing my like 25 plus like lands. one drops and, and lands <laughs> yeah, and stuff right. like that. And it's just like, I'm not getting anywhere. You know, I've got mana, I've got creatures in play. Maybe eventually I can convert to something, but it just doesn't happen in the right time frame um to so where where you're actually uh carrying out your game plan um so i think that for me that's kind of part of it um you know i i would say that she's certainly like at the top of the b tier possibly and you know conversely she would have been i guess at the bottom of the a tier if i had left her there um it's just the sort of thing where i know that if i was playing the deck that would really frustrate me the fact that like there would be that kind of degree of inconsistency, um, you know, largely to do with the fact that, you know, in order to make the Yuriko engine work, I need to play all these bad cards. And I'm hoping that these bad cards are going to find me the interactive important pieces that I need to extend the game so that I can win through inevitability. Yeah. That, that, that's kind of where I'm at with it too, is uh, I think um, where I've, I've played it the most is, uh, you know, either in like my personal friend group, or I've played against it a few times at a Okotoberfest. Um, Ara was the person who I played against it the most, and maybe it's just their build of it, or or what. But every time I see it get played, it's it's exactly what you said. It's very swingy. It's either it's, uh, you know, the Billy Joel insert Billy Joel song here. Uh, I go to extremes. It's either too high or too low. There isn't any in between. Uh, and you go ahead and uh, sing that in your head if you are mm-hmm. a Billy Joel fan like myself. Uh, but it, it's it's that 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 piece where you're either hitting every major thing or you're hitting nothing. And you're just spinning your wheels. And I think that's why I would. I actually had it in my mind as a high C, low B, personally. Because to me, I think that inconsistency is what would be what I would consider B. Uh, I said B a ton just in that, that <laughs> string of words. Uh, that is what holds things into the fringe tier for me is how consistently are you doing the thing? And I, I think Yuriko because it's blue black, because it has Thassa's Oracle mm-hmm. gets up into B tier for me, but because of the fact that it's just so like, it's either one or the other and there's just no in the middle. And then it's saved by Thassa's Oracle, in my opinion. But I, I think otherwise, I would look at it and I'm just like, this is 
a good deck that can go really exactly what Ryan said. It's going to win some amount of games. Uh, but ultimately, for me, I think it's just so inconsistent with its ability mm. to consistently put together games. Uh, yeah. Where I, I don't know I if agree. I would take this to a tournament and be like, feel very confident that I would make day two. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of my thought on it. Well, um, I mean, I think, you know, when it comes to tournaments, you have to be running hot to win mm-hmm. anyway. That's kind of just, I think, a precondition. In addition, obviously, to playing well, um, you need things to kind of, uh, break properly for you um right. you know i think the last thing i want to say about yuriko the final thing is you know in the past i probably would have given this an a like ryan uh you know along similar lines of reasoning where you know it being blue black obviously pulls a lot of weight um but this year like i was saying i'm allowing myself to insert some editorialization as it were or you know like <laughs> some of my own feelings of playing the deck yeah um and as such uh, yeah that's it it's, so i i kind of had to think about it and i was like okay well very late in the game sort of last minute i think it was yesterday even um, yeah you, you literally yeah, just messaged, messaged me in our group chat yesterday i just like yeah. hey, change this rating for you that's it thank you to all of our wonderful patrons on patreon Your continued support is what enables us to continue to bring you high-quality CEDH content every single week. If you want to listen to next week's episode right now, you could become a patron for as low as $2 a month and get access to the full uncut video episode right now. You will also get access to our patron-exclusive Discord server, plus the ability to submit a question to our Dear Sculpty Boy segment. So what are you waiting for? If you aren't a patron already, you can join the Sculpty family at patreon.com forward slash the mind sculptors. We're moving on to the three and four and five color commanders that we're going to be talking about today in more detail. And the first one here is an Esper. It is Rafine Scheming Seer. Uh, Ryan and Pongo have this ranked as a B tier commander. I have it ranked as an A tier commander. So Ryan Pongo, whoever, whoever wants to take this one, uh, why is it you kind of see this at a B tier? Well, actually, why don't we start with you and let okay, us know why, why you I think, think it's an A. <laughs> Why I think it's an A. Well, Uno reverse partially, card. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> you, you, you got it. Um, so for me, part of why I think it's an A is it checks a lot of boxes for me. Um, one is that it's pretty like accessible from the command zone. Three mana, blue, white, black is not difficult to generate. Um it also has two like a form of ev- of evasion on it with flying it also has ward 1 and uh everybody who's played against Rafine or Tivit can tell you how annoying ward is as a mechanic yes uh, they put it on everything now for some reason yeah, <laughs> what is up and with it's, that it's it's frustrating to play against uh but um it also has this ability to make your team bigger and then has this inevitability just kind of on its own with the connive ability. And I have yet to see connive, not just 
run the table every time I've ever played against it, whether it's Spleenface's version of the deck, which is kind of a um, like white, like a Esper Weenies type deck that has a little bit of a turns reanimator package built into it. Uh, it, it, it just will eventually run you over because you're going to get buried in card advantage and you're going to get buried by the literal like mass of cards that he has accumulated by playing these things and then building them up with the counters. Uh, or you're playing the Adnaz Doomsday Reanimator pile, which I don't think is quite as good, but does do in like I I think Esper honestly lends itself to being more controlly, uh, which is a conversation for another day. But uh, I think I've, I think I said that before actually last year when we talked about Zer is uh, we we talked about how people were playing Zer as like this turbo deck and I was like it's not a turbo deck play it play it slower guys yeah um, you were saying that about Jeskai too mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and that's kind of where I look at Rafine is where I've seen it shine is when it's playing this mid range grindy strategy and it just buries you in card advantage. Now where I do the, why I put it as an a instead of a, like a, I, I think it's like a mid to low a, not a high a. And partially that's because I do think it, it does take a little bit of time to establish the board presence. And I think that does matter when you're talking about the meta that we're seeing here, where it's, you know, Rog Silas, Turbo Najilas, Godos, all of that, you know, Winotas, when we're looking at that meta, I do think that is a a detractor from it, but I do think that it is in colors that make that that massage that issue a little bit um so i think that that's kind of where i look at it i think it i i think it is the best esper commander by like a country mile um like i think it's better than any other esper option by like a lot um and i that might be a hot take because i know a lot of people are like malcolm timna is the the best one i i think rafine is the best Esper commander or commander pair, and it's not even close. Uh, but that's kind of my opinion on it. Get in the comments if you disagree with me. Uh, but uh, Pongo and Ryan already disagree with me. So what are what are your takes? I I, I think I'll throw it to to Ryan first. Ryan, what do you what do you why do you disagree with me? Uh, why am I wrong? Uh, <laughs> There's not enough. There's not enough footage for us to get into that. <laughs> Sorry. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, uh, no, but seriously, uh, really what it boils down to is the depending upon what meta you're bringing it into will really scale its effectiveness. Whereas there's a lot of commanders that we talk about, like the unanimous S tier ones, where it doesn't matter what meta you're in. You just bring it in blind and it'll usually put it at a good showing. Mm. Rafine doesn't really have that. It's a little bit more meta dependent. If you've got a meta that just doesn't favor Rafine very well, it flounders real hard. And because of that, you have to do a little bit more adapting to the meta and you can't just play it blind. So you usually do have to adapt it to your play group. But Rafine also doesn't lend itself super well to adaptation either. 
because you do want to kind of do the connive thing. You do want to kind of do that kind of stuff. And that stuff is powerful. There is no doubt about that. No one's disagreeing with that. But if you're doing it in a way where it is at the max efficiency, there's just some metas that just aren't going to be able to put up that aren't going to be able to uh, it's not going to be able to put up a good showing against. Um, mm -hmm. So that's part of it. But also the other part, I think, is once again, what you're saying and what I said earlier is that Rafine is built two different ways. Uh, mm -hmm. Some people try and build it as Esper Adnaz and it doesn't do that very well. Um, Esper just doesn't do Adnaz well. No, my, it doesn't. My two cents on it. You need to be in red if you're doing turbo Adnaz. Nowadays, I That's agree. How I, I, I think that you can get away with some other stuff, too. But yeah, on the whole, usually it's really great to have red. Um, yeah. But if you're in Adnaz and you're going really hard into Adnaz, like Rafine doesn't really accomplish that super well. And right. so those that are using the Rafine, like I think it's the Doomsday list or the Razak yeah. list or whatever, it just it's trying to do three different things. And the commander's giving you some selection, but not quite. And it's just it just flounders a lot because of it. The weenies yeah. one or whatever. I think that's on the database currently. Yeah, that one does uh, a lot better in my I, opinion. I, I mean, I really like that. Like you build up the small board, or you use these small creatures to build up your board state, and then you you're gonna be using that to reanimate things out of your graveyard or bring things back to your hand mm -hmm. uh, yeah. and take turns and stuff like that. Like I think that strategy is exactly where this color pot, like this slice of the color pie shines. Yeah. And like that that's part of why I I like it like so much is because i've predominantly see that version of the deck to be fair oh um, okay yeah see i've seen the raza doomsday one or whatever and that one i just was not impressed with and i think i, I I've, I've watched the one with the weenies and that one does perform better but once again like i said it's there's you definitely have to have a knowledge of your meta to go in and see it have it actually perform but mm -hmm. so that's my two cents on it yeah yeah, I, I agree like a lot with what Ryan just said there, where um, it kind of feels like when you look at the list, they feel very pre-boarded for mid-range metas. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I sort of maybe feel like I'm being a bit too harsh giving it a B, and I could see myself bumping it up to an A potentially, um, just because of how powerful it is in specifically those spots. Um, mm -hmm. it, it is very like it does go over the top of a lot of other mid range and stacks decks. Yeah. Um, and you know, beyond that, it's also that's the kind of thing that I enjoy doing. Um, yeah. so like I, I could see myself Same. giving it a better rating <laughs> as a result. Um, but it, it, it's true though that you know, if I was to bring this to a tournament, I would be kind of you know concerned about how i'm tuning the deck on the one hand and then on the other hand also concerned about um you know whether or not i would be you know falling into the right matchups uh for a lot of the card inclusions in the deck um it just kind of plays a lot of again just chunkier cards that will win when the game goes longer but you need to navigate the game to that point and I don't know that it necessarily has fantastic tools to do that. So mm -hmm. it is somewhat reliant on other people at the table bailing you out right. um, while you're kind of building towards that uh, you know, inevitable late game. I, 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 
I see what you're saying. That's fair. I, I think that my experience by watching the tournament scene develop over the past year uh, is that the tournament scene tends to be a grindier scene hmm. than what people think it is. Because if you recall, like Punt City, everybody thought that it was going to be like, because I remember ta- having this conversation with Michael, is that a, a lot of people were expecting that to walk in there and it be turbo, 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 turbo. And then it ended up being like the stacks meta. Um, <laughs> and so it, it, it's one of those things where I, I keep seeing this play over and over again, where people are like, Turbo's going to come out and it's going to do great and it's going to be really good. And then it ends up being this mid-range grindy meta. And I think, and this is like a whole conversation we could have about why tournament metas shake out that way. But I think in large part, that is because you go in and it's a blind meta and mid-range is pretty good into blind metas because they're very adaptable. Mm. And so that's why I think I would feel really comfortable taking Rafine in to a tournament setting because of the fact I know going into this, I'm more than likely going to end up being pretty grindy. These games aren't going to end very fast. Uh, people are going to be playing a lot more tight, but you know, you're going to see people play a little bit differently than they do on servers. Mm-hmm. And so I think you're going to be able to place, I mean, hell, Tivit just won Mox Masters, right? So, mm-hmm. like, I think that in and of itself should show you the power of of where that is. And honestly, I think I might be underrated Tivit, honestly, after seeing how it performed there. And yeah. uh, for for me, I I just think that like if I'm sitting down, number one, I'm playing Esper as a mid range control strategy, so I'm automatically going. All right, I don't think Timna and Malcolm are very good at that personally because I think they draw a lot of heat immediately. And I think that I'm not even going to get into that, that I'm going to save that for my survivor episode where we talk about deck selections. I I do Uh, think I'm comfortable uh, bumping this up to an a actually. Hell yeah. Yeah. Until I, die. I will not budge um, i will not budge but now i have to defend my position well so so let me just kind of uh you know add to what callahan was saying which is you know it has been my experience and and even you know through my data collection and just you know, my intuition and and also uh from conversations i've had with people that you know despite what a lot of people may think and despite how like a lot of people are perhaps tuning their decks we are in one of the slowest CDH formats in, in recent yeah. memory. Um, and so I do feel like, you know, there, there is room to be playing decks like this um, that are a little bit more mid-rangey. Um, and certainly this is a deck that has great tools to do that. Um, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's I a think great, it's a deck it's in great like, colors. I mean, so, you, yeah. you, know, you know that Michael Levine and Charles are going to be at your, excuse me, Dr. Uh, Michael Levine and uh, Charles are going to be at whatever tournament you're at and you know they're going to be playing some form of stacks just off the bat so two people out of the field already you know are playing a mid-range control strategy so you already know you can go over the top of them at at minimum and they're not even going to be the entirety of the fact that there are a ton of people playing stacks into these metas because they're trying to react to the turbo decks that they're expecting 
So if you go in with a deck like this, I think you're just prepared to just be go over the top of these. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Somebody prove me wrong. <laughs> uh, next list uh, we're going to be talking about. We're moving into Grixis. And uh, we have Armix Krom, which is Mikey's baby. And uh, you, uh, Ryan, and you, Pongo, have this as an A tier. I have this as a B tier commander. Uh, you know, again, you guys, what what are your thoughts on why this is an A tier commander? I guess Ryan, it's my turn I, I to take this one. Or? Yeah, I think Pong, yeah, yeah, Pongo, Pongo, you, you go, you go ahead. Yeah. Um. So I mean, this checks the the boxes in terms of colors, right? You've got Grixis colors, mm -hmm. and so you've got blue, black plus red. Um, and sort of by est my estimation, if, if you're trying to go fast, those are the three best colors. Um, I don't know if that's a particularly hot take. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I mean, you've got that box checked off. But in addition to that, what I really like about this combination is, uh, you know, Armix can solve a good number of problems um, that other, you know, Grixis commanders don't necessarily have the luxury of being able to solve out of the command zone. Um, so I, I do like having this, the removal in the command zone as a way to mm -hmm. deal with some of the hate bears. And, you know, again, some of the decks you were, you were even talking about Callahan just previously, um, you know, like the mono white Heliods or, you know, the mono white flavor, <laughs> whatever, right. whatever, whatever Charles decides he's, he's playing today. He brought Owl last time, yeah. whatever he's bringing this time, you know, exactly. whatever mono white deck he's interested in. <laughs> um, but you know and there's kind of a resurgence too in uh people playing like green white stacks decks you're trying yeah. those out um and and naturally winota is sort of an omnipresent force that you need to be prepared for um and so i think that having kind of a way to deal with winota specifically in the command zone is a very attractive thing to have when you're playing mm -hmm. these colors uh just as a, a thing that you can kind of fall back on yeah brian any where do you land on it? And do you kind of agree with Pongo or that, or do you have even stronger opinions than, than Pongo? No, I think that he pretty much hit the nail on the head. The only other things I'd probably add was um, when Mike and I were driving back from Punt City, he had just won it with uh, Winota. Right. And we were talking about Grixis and how it was doing and kind of going back to what you were saying about Rafine and walking into these blind metas, everyone thinks it's all going to be Turbo Nas. And because it's going to be Turbo Nas, I need to do something to counteract Turbo Nas. And so I'm going to bring a mid-range something, something deck. I'm going to run Collector Oops in my deck and all this other stuff. Well, this allows you to battle through those mid-range or those blind metas in a way that has almost no opportunity cost. All I have to do is turn sideways and remove your, you know, remove the stacks piece, remove yeah. the blocker, remove the whatever. And it's not like Grixis doesn't play artifacts and it's not like Armix isn't an artifact himself. So if nothing else, you're killing their Ragavan, you know, yeah. at a minimum. Uh, it's not it's not <laughs> free removal, right? You do have to discard a card. So like, I, but still, I'm not I, excited about know, removing a, a Ragavan. I think my biggest question is like, you would suggest that. <laughs> I, I think but, my biggest question is like how like I, I think as a reanimator strategy, I think it's real strong because it's just like I, I think as a breach strategy, it's real strong. Mm -hmm. It's like Darcy, yeah, yeah, yeah. like channeler. You know, if you're in breach, which this is in breach, and if you're in Armix Crom, you're usually on breach, but this allows you to start fueling your breach right away, which mm -hmm. is really nice. And you're getting rid of people's uh hate pieces or their blockers or whatever it might be. 
And I think that that is super advantageous. And I was talking to Mike about that, and we had agreed that if somebody brought Armix Crom to Punt City, there was a non-zero chance they would have won it because there was yeah, that now. much mid-range stuff, Dranith Magistrates, Collector Roofs, because everyone was trying to battle Turbo Nods. And as such, what was going on was that everyone was sitting in these mid-range pods with Collector Roofs and no one else. You know, oh, and, just... and, and the Grixis, the Grixis players would sometimes just straight fold if yeah. they couldn't get to a win before the collector roof hit. They were just really kind of struggling to get where they needed to go because they were very much the silver bullets were working against them. And Armix allows you to still keep pulling ahead. Yeah. Put out your Armix, you kill that whatever it is and get get into that game in a way. That allows you to continue to number one, fuel your breach, number two, get rid of their creature or whatever, it, you know, whatever it might be, and then still execute your Grixis strategy. Yeah. Um, so that's that's how I feel about it. Uh, kind you, of going back to y'all sold me on that, honestly. Like, I mean, I, I it, so here's the thing I, I, I played a lot of Arden Crom, right? And I think Arden Crom is like the control version of Armix Crom. Like, if that makes sense, it plays on a very similar axis of, you know, you have Krom to get that card advantage. You have the other partner to kind of enable either removal or, the you know, whatever. Um, I like genuinely like li just listening to you guys talk. I think you are 100 percent correct on that of just. It is one of those things where I'm a big believer in mid range. And so having a deck that can push you over the top like that, I like a lot. Now I will say that I do think Rafine is better as a mid range deck. Um, just on the axis of, I think, I think decks that are in Grixis trying to play mid range. Uh, and this is why I put Kess lower. I think decks right now that are trying to play mid-range in Grixis are running into this conflict of do I play do I lean into the mid-range or do I lean into my breach and my Nas strategy? And when you straddle the line, I think it dilutes both of them. And that is probably my biggest complaint about Armix Chrome is that. I think it straddles the line of turbo Nas and mid range. And because of that, I don't think it does either better than, you know, other options. But I also think that it does the mid range thing well enough that it can overcome that a little bit. Because uh, it just has a good floor, right? You know, you're talking about like Armix being a removal piece. Yeah. I, I think you guys bring up excellent points. I'm willing to change my rating on that. You've convinced me. Uh, next, next commander up here. We're, we, we've got a lot of Grixis folks. Uh, it is Enola Archmage Ritualist. And this is a card that we've talked about extensively here. Uh, we have talked about it year after year after year. So if you want our deep thoughts on this card, uh, you can definitely go back to previous years, but Ryan has it at a B. Pongo and I have it as an A. And Ryan, what what has it you putting it out as? A, why are you closer to where I was previously on it? 
because I'm higher on it now than I was in the last few years. Mm -hmm. There's nothing new to be said about Anala that hasn't been said everywhere over and over again. Uh, It suffers the cast problem. That's really what it boils down to. Um, I ask a lot of my command zone and Anala has this thing where it's like, yeah, I got this and I got that. Do I win? And everyone's like, yeah, that was great. Good job. You know, you, you shuffle up and play again, which does make it powerful. If you can get to that, it leans really hard into that to try and win as fast as possible. So sometimes you play some suboptimal cards that are dead in your hand otherwise. But really what it is, is it suffers the cast problem for me. I, mm-hmm. I demand a lot of my command zone and Anala doesn't do in Grixis what I demand of Grixis nowadays. And that's really mm-hmm. basically it. It's still powerful. Like it, there's, there's, it's not weak. It's still, it can win really quickly. Everyone yeah. knows that. Um, but that's really, it. that's really all it is. Yeah. I, I think for me, because that was kind of my thought on it previously. And I've now kind of gone to the other side of the fence where now I look at it and I'm like, because I've just played against it enough now that mm-hmm. I, I have really just come around to this card or I've seen people play it enough either in the MLC where, you know, we've seen Cam, you know, turn one, he's going last wins in wins, uh, the yeah. first season. And I, I think that's one of those things where I, I I've really come around to this card of looking at it is in, in the reason I disagree with the, it doesn't do what I want it to do in Grixis is that I think it's doing, I would agree with that normally. And I agree with you on Kess on that point, but mm-hmm. I think it's doing a different enough thing mm-hmm. that I'm willing to look past that mm-hmm. and go, okay, so what is it? It's doing this thing really well. And because of that, I think like the fact that I'd never have to cast my commander a single time and I'm still getting advantage from it is absurd. Like, it's just it's a stupid mechanic that shouldn't exist. Yeah. But I know. Yep. um <laughs> mm-hmm. like every everyone agrees eminence was a mistake. That's it is sure. it is a wild card, but that's kind of my my sense my feeling on it. Uh Pongo, I'm sure similar feelings yeah, along those lines. More or less. I would say um, you know, I, I don't know that I've really changed my position as far as an all is concerned compared to last year in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the one point where I would perhaps disagree with Ryan is, you know, having seen, for example, Spleenface Morgan piloting this deck. Um, yeah, he plays like a slightly different version of the deck uh, with like a few more um, wizards for, for synergy and for value. Uh, and like, I've seen some messed up stuff happen with dual caster mage at instant speed. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> like, and that kind of like, I don't know, tickles my pickle as it were. Um, <laughs> So <laughs> please don't say that ever again. Oh my god. Oh, why not? It's the best. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> just for you. I felt my just for you, shrivel. Sean. Jesus. Oh my god. <laughs> um no, but I, I agree with you. It's like Morgan in Mikey's builds of Anala have just completely sold me on that card or are on that deck. Like it's just like I just see it be so consistently good that I'm just like, God. How do you deal with this? Um, mm-hmm. But uh, next card on the list is or Grixis. We're looking at Tevish Krom. And this is one again where you both have it as A and I have it as B. And 
sell me on this. Is this a te- is this an arm? No, no, thing? no. You are defending your position. Am I defending this position? <laughs> yeah. we, okay. we are. We, we are in the. On. You're in the V. You defend I, your. I'll, I'll, I'll tell seat. you what. I, I'm now going. I, I'm going to look at this and I'm going to compare it to Armix Chrome and I'm going to ask you both a question uh, regarding these two these two commanders. And I think I'm going to base it off this because this is kind of how I felt about it before. And I because I kind of thought Armix Chrome was better than Tevish Chrome to begin with, anyhow. Um, but if it was you guys and you were going into a tournament, would you rather be playing Tevish Chrome or Armix Chrome, Ryan? Armix. Pongo. Timna. <laughs> well, that wasn't an option, right? Like, it, um, uh, yeah, I, I would probably be. I would prefer to play Armix. Um, yeah, you know, but it's like I, it's relatively it's close, right? Like they're it's I not, just they're think, not that far off from one another. I just I think, think I, I, there's there's honestly it's if you build Tevish Krom as more of a mid range ish Grixis thing, it actually excels very well. Uh, because you can really lean harder into the mid-range part and do really busted stuff with it because you can you just 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 drown people in advantage right. because you have two co- advantage engines in the command zone. And it got even better with Displacer Kitten when mm-hmm. it came out. Yeah. Because now you yeah. can flicker your Tevish and you can keep doing that kind of stuff. It's mainly that and, for me. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've just seen it. Uh, as a mid-range list, do very, very well. If you're just talking about Armix, and if you're just talking about taking the 98 and swapping Tevish for Armix, yeah, I would probably take Armix because you're not you're not adapting the other mm-hmm. 98 to the, the Tevish strategy. I just think here here here's kind of where I'm at is you're running into an issue where you're playing two quite expensive commanders. That you got to ramp into, but you can only ramp into one, right? Because realistically, you're using your your jewel uh, lotus, or your ritual, or whatever it is. So you're you're picking one or the other. And for me, I think those types of commanders are better paired with lower costed commanders that offset that issue. So like. Chrom with Armix, I kind of like a little bit more. Uh, Chrom, I like a little bit more with like Arden or something like that. And I'm going to continue to talk about how great Arden is. But um, Tevish, to me, I the only reason I didn't put this in a C tier, honestly, is because of the fact that it's in Grixis. Grixis and yeah. Grixis is just so goddamn powerful that mm. it can kind of overcome that a little bit. But like, I don't like Tevish Thrasios. I don't think it's like, I think it's fine, but I'm not in love with it. I'm not in love with any of the Tevish lists lists. Mm. I thought they were cute when they came out and we discovered that Tevish was better than we originally thought. But I, I just, I have a hard time. I have yet to see a Tevish list blow me away. Mm. And really separate itself from the rest of the field. And they always just kind of feel like a mid, like a, a mid range pile. And, you know, I, I kind of have this argument is if I put built the same mid range pile for Tevish Krom or Armix Krom, I still think Armix Krom would play it better. And that's just kind of how I feel about it. Like, I, I don't think Tevish is 
you know, that much better than like it doesn't remove my opponent's stuff. So it does it's just more card draw. Why am I not playing Timna that's better card draw? Like it, that's just kind of like I, I I don't know. Like it, it's just I think there are better options for a partner that you can put with Krom that are going to complement what Krom is doing in a better way than what Tevish does. Because here's the other thing. Like uh, Tevish and Thrasios at least makes some semblance of sense to me because I can see a world where I want to sack my Thrasios potentially to draw extra cards. When in God's name are you sacking your Krom? You're sacking other people's crom because you ultimated Tevish. Yeah, for real. <laughs> I, I've, I've seen it happen once. Is the thing mm. though, and I've I've played against the card tons, but I've ne- I, I I've seen it all once. But that's because everybody's seen it all once, and then everybody goes, "Okay, we got to keep the Tevish down. You can't let that Tevish get out of hand." And so I, I just, but it's still drawing I, I, cards I like while it's happening, right? So. Sure, but so does Timna, and it does it at a better clip. I mean, I, I uh, agree that yeah, the comparison like, with Timna makes it look unattractive, right? That was kind of the first thing that I said right out of the gate, more or less. But I still, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that keeps it perhaps out of S tier. But does that keep it out of A tier? No, probably not. Sure, right? But like, but but my, my but this is my thing is like, what is it doing uniquely for card draw? that you couldn't just do with like four mid range and card draw that you couldn't just do in Timnacrom or better with Armix Chrome. Like that, that's kind of how I feel about it. Well, is I mean, I, I, think, I think Tevish is a better card advantage engine in many situations than Chrome. Um, there's like a lot of board States where sure. Tevish is more powerful at generating card advantage. Um, and, you know, people can also play around Kromp to some extent as well. Um, so I'm not. Nobody does. But nobody does, though. That's the thing. People, that's people because are of your fucks. irresponsible meta. Well, yeah. yeah that, nobody. That's, nobody that, that's the thing. People in were, our meta, in the team turn three meta, yes, people, people are like, I don't feed the Krom. But like, yeah. when you go out to the tournament scene, you see people in the wild, dude, my Krom gets fed every fucking time. Like, I don't it know. Does. It's just. What I think is really great about Tevish Krom, and I'm not saying that this is the second coming of Christ or anything like that. It's yeah. not S tier by any stretch. Uh, really what it is, is that it allows me to adapt to my pod. Mm. Oh, okay. I've got a bunch of Temnas. My Tevish comes out first because everyone wants to attack Tevish versus attacks me and not get their card draw off of it. And so everyone, just like you said, says, Oh, we need to keep that Tevish down. Don't want to ultimate that Tevish. That means game over for us. So what they do is they all attack the Tevish. He has his own blockers built in. Yeah. And has his and so they're not attacking you, and you are on Adnaz. So your life total is getting preserved with the Tevish on the battlefield. He has his own blockers. It's harder to get through to him. Everyone's not playing the you know, low and wide yeah. strategies. And if I'm in a meta that warrants more spell slinging or i'm sorry a pod that warrants more spell slinging i'll put Krom out instead i like having that choice in there that's fair that's fair i i, I that's I, that's, I, what, that's what i like super about fair. it i i just i don't know i guess i'm just super low on tevish like i think i spiked on it where i definitely like when like pongo you were you La- remember last year when, we were pretty high on tevish yeah I, I I've really come back down to earth on it. I feel like like I I think I was really high on it because I 
I think the journey for me with Tevish was the preview season of like, we didn't even talk about it on our set mm-hmm. review. That Nobody was a did. two part, like three yeah. hour set review. Nobody p- paid any attention to it. Then Rebel did a thing with it. And then people started picking it up and innovating and doing different stuff with it. Then people got really high on it. And I feel like I've come back down to earth on it where now I'm just like, it's fine. Like, that's why I think it's B, almost C tier where it fits into that. It's fine. I think it's playable. It's going to do a thing. It's not terrible, but I think there are better, more optimal or good you know options out there that i would rather be playing and you know especially like i felt that way before you sold me on pumping armix crom up to a i feel that way even more now because i like i liked armix crom more at a b tier over another b tier commander and i i just i don't know that's how i feel about it it's a Roast yeah, me in somebody, the comments. It's somebody fine. somebody yeah. really doesn't like Tevish. Got it. It's not that I <laughs> don't like you. it. We it's just you. that I think it's fine. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's no, it's no, no. Fine. You, I you don't think, think that it belongs in the fringe tier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's awfully close. If you ask me, it's awfully close. If you ask, me. but I, uh, um, I took it to SCG con Columbus and played CDH all weekend. Went seven out with it. Wow. You know, what a flex. It's, it, it does work. It does work. Tevish Way to go, Ryan. Yeah, yeah, just, it's, just but but the, again, that's also why I put it up into B or, or put it at B is because I just think like Grixis can just carry you so far sometimes. Off it can of that. exactly because yep. it's just like it's just the colors are so good. Um, next on our list is Malcolm Vile Smasher. This is a list that kind of fell out of favor after Hall Breacher got banned, um, and then has started cropping back up. And uh, we we've we haven't talked about specific partner pairs in the past. We've only talked about the partner itself. And so this year we're, you know, kind of evaluating it a little bit differently. So this is kind of the first time we're really taking a look at the partner pairings actually. Um, but you guys have Grixis pirates at a, I have it at B and do you want me to defend my position again? Or like, no, we can start this. We can, okay. Yeah. <laughs> can probably you know what? figure out your position from your previous yeah, comments. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, I mean, what do you guys? Well, think? this one's even like, worse where, where because it doesn't draw cards. So obviously Callahan's like, <laughs> I'm surprised this one's not in C, right? Yeah, yeah I'm surprised it's even on the yeah. list. Surprised it just didn't omit it. Yeah, <laughs> didn't even let us evaluate it. Yeah. Um, you know, Ryan Pongo, what do you what do you Ryan? What do you think on long on short of it is it's it's teamer pirates and Grixis. So you have some of the best tutors. I mean, that's what you do. It's Dark Malcolm. And it's it just does Dark the Malcolm. Teamer Pirates thing so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, giving giving Teamer Pirates access to black is gave it such a boon. Uh, gave mm-hmm. it a bunch of things like reanimation strategies now and gave it you know, the, all the best tutors. And it just really kind of sent it into the A tier for me. Yeah. Ongo, what, are you, what about you? What put it up into A for you? That's interesting. Um you know, I, I agree with Ryan sort of in the abstract, but I think when you compare it to like Teamer Pirates, um, it's funny how going from green to black, you don't actually get, in my opinion, like quite as much as you expect along the Malcolm yeah. axis. Because like you you lose the green tutors and you get the black tutors. So you kind of like mm-hmm. 
either end up with fewer tutors or like kind of the same amount just because of like how many good green tutors there are for creature based combos. But maybe I should maybe I should say more specifically, you gain a lot more resiliency. Yes, well, you, 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 say. So I you gain a whole like other angle of attack, which is something mm -hmm. that I appreciate in all of my decks. Um, so so I agree with that aspect um, of, of what you're saying, Ryan, where, yeah, you, you go from Teamer to Grixis and now all of a sudden you're adding Adnaws Breach um, and you, you're adding like you were saying the reanimation package um so you get a little bit more resilience you know if, if you need mm -hmm. to re um reattempt your your malcolm lines so yeah. you can yeah. you can do the malcolm glenhorn thing or oh that didn't work out and so and so got eggs out that's fine i'll just breach thoracle yeah exactly breach you get thoracle. Thoracle. that's also in here so that right, that's it it's, it's just kind of it's blue black with like a one card combo and so that's very close to kind of just the Najila recipe. Um, and yeah. it's it's hard to not be in at least A tier when you're doing that kind of thing. I I guess for me, I I like agree with all the points you're making. I see it as more of a B tier, and it's not because of like any of the things I said before about like card draw or anything like that. Like I think it does what it does fine. Um my kind of feelings on it ultimately is that I like, I think where I'm at is that I just think Malcolm Tana is better. I, like if I was going to pick which one of the two, which Malcolm deck I was going to play Malcolm Tana or Malcolm vile, I'm picking Malcolm Tana. Like ev every single time I'd much prefer to be on the green strategy that gives me access to stuff like Allosaurus Shepherd and, uh, you know, Destiny Spinner and things that can protect my combo a little bit more efficiently, um, or maybe not efficiently, but effectively. Um, I just like the Teamer Shell for Malcolm a lot more than I like the Grixis one, where I think the Grixis one again i think kind of does the thing where it has its foot in the turbo nas pool and it has its other foot in the uh like the malcolm glinthorn pool and i don't think it does both particularly well um i think it does both fine because again like we said about tethish crom you're in grixis baby it's you, it can only be so bad um but like at the same time, I'm also just a I feel like it doesn't do either strategy particularly well. And I I guess maybe I'm just wrong on this, but I I just hold Malcolm Vile a little bit lower than maybe Ian has just ruined my perception of the deck because he's just kind of sold his stocks on it. Um, but I don't know. It's well, that's it kind of where I land like on like an Malcolm Ian Vial. deck to me. Like yeah, at doesn't. all. Yeah. So I can kind of understand where Ian in particular would not be super high on the deck, but well, he used to like he was like the original person who made the deck and ended up like not doing the list anymore because he just was off the list. Well, yeah, well, um, that's kind of what I'm saying though. Like, yeah. It's not to say that Ian couldn't brew the deck. I think that the deck brews itself in a lot of respects, especially if you're just going Turbo Naws, I'm adding Glenhorn Buccaneer. Um, yeah. but you know, 
and and this is not to yeah. disparage Ian in any way, but I think that no. Ian has a preference in terms of you know play style, types of yeah. decks that he likes to play, and I don't know that this would be like that kind of deck. Which is not to say that you know Ian doesn't have range because Ian also plays Roger Silas, right? Um, mm-hmm. So you know he obviously also plays the Turbo Nas type of strategies, um, but you know all this to say that. I don't know that I've seen Ian really strongly gravitate towards those. Yeah. And, you know, compared I mean, to the and maybe, rangy decks. Yeah. And I mean, and maybe that's just my, my preference also sullying my opinion on it. You know what I mean? Like my preference and how like the decks I like to play where I think, you know, it makes a reasonable amount of sense why I would much prefer to play Malcolm Tana. If you know anything about my play style uh, over Malcolm Vile Smasher, like, me wanting to play teamer over Grixis like should make a lot of sense to a lot of people. Um, but <laughs> uh, speaking of Roger Silas, next card or deck on our tier list here as we're kind of moving here towards the end is Rogue Rack Silence. And this is a deck that Pongo on our very first gameplay episode, turn one, seat one, wins the game off of the most insane Jessica's will I've ever seen. And <laughs> good times. Good just, times. and I've never we going to showcase all since. these decks yeah. <laughs> and you, you just had the nuts and I, I will never forget cobble sitting in the gameplay recording of going, well, I guess we aren't going to see my hand. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) He had this really cool opener and he was like, I guess we don't get to do it. So never mind. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that was wild. But uh, so I have it. Ryan and I have it at an A. And this is actually the first time Pongo has disagreed with Ryan and I. So Pongo, what is your kind of take on Roger Silas? What makes you put it, push it up into an S tier? So this is the first uh, time you and Ryan have agreed, but not the first time I've disagreed with either of you. Fair fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) So why is it an S tier for me? I mean, I can kind of preempt why you would all, you would both put it into a tier. Um, Ultimately, why is it an S tier for me? The, Big reason is that uh, it it's just a deck that you need to respect, and I feel like if I'm not putting an S tier, then people might get the wrong idea. Someone has to put it in S tier so that the people listening to this episode understand when this deck is in your pod, you need to respect it. You need to mulligan appropriately. You need to navigate yeah. those first two turns, and then you can play a normal game of Magic. And like the the Roger mm-hmm. player is sad. And you need to make them sad. Like, that's important. Yes. They need to grow. They I need mean, to grow I, I, up. And you need to help I, I them. did that. <laughs> I did that in an Arden Crom game where I was playing Arden Crom and I mulliganed to a turn one Arden Skull Clamp hand specifically because I knew they were playing Rograk turn one. And every time they played Rograk, Skull Clamp was going on that Rograk baby. And they just never got to get anything established because I just kept putting like their rogue rack and it right. cost them like six mana at one point and i was just yeah, like which, you're not getting access to this you're just going to draw me cards it, it's interesting because like, that that's you know that helps sure but it might yeah. not actually be the access i don't think that's the answer for you. every day right. i think that's yeah, an right. answer for like art index I, specifically but I, I, um, it suffers the goto problem mm. 
get through the first two turns, and then you can play magic. Goto has the same problem. Get through the first two turns and disrupt the Goto, and now we can start playing. Roger Silas has the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's I that's ultimately why I have it here at A is it's like, listen, this thing is explosive. It's really fast. You're gonna catch people with it, but God. I have never seen this thing be able to recover from being stopped. I've never yep. seen it recover. Like it is, it is super fragile. Yep. It's fast. It is super fast. No one's, no one is arguing that it's just a little bit more fragile. It's like that really athletic wide receiver you have on your team. Who's like oh, yeah, the exactly fastest like. guy on the field. <laughs> you're never gonna, you're never going to have a better weapon than that guy when he's healthy. Because he's so totally. injury prone. Like, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, I agree. Yeah. James is listening. James will know what I'm talking about. All right. Uh. It's uh, my God. My goodness. He's he's the, the Anthony Davis. That That's what Rograx Silas is. The Anthony Davis of uh, I'm mixing my metaphors now, but it's the Anthony <laughs> Davis of uh, Commander decks. It's. Super great. One of the greatest basketball players out there if they were healthy. And that's kind of how I feel about Rog Silas is that if this thing could continue doing the powerful, Mm. fast stuff through the mid game to late game, I would push it to S tier immediately. It's it's like Legacy Reanimator, right? Like I I play Legacy Reanimator or or rather I have, but I haven't played a lot of Legacy mm -hmm. recently where it's like if I could choose my opponents. And or or if I could make it so that like they just don't know how to mulligan ever, <laughs> then I would be playing the best deck in the format, right? But the yeah, second yeah. that they're like, okay, I'm gonna mulligan to you know turn one interaction or like turn zero interaction, then like oh okay, my deck like is no longer obscene, right? Like obscenely right. powerful, obscenely fast, doing a crazy broken thing. So the you know, it's so good in a vacuum, like insanely powerful in a vacuum. And I like that because like I was saying, I play legacy right. reanimators. So that that style of gameplay appeals to me um, at times for sure. Um, but, you know, against really competent opponents who respect what you're doing, you know, you don't get to just you don't get to hog all the fun, right? Like they're going to try to steal yeah. some of your fun and that sucks. Yeah, I mean, and it's even harder to do that in Commander where oh, yeah. you yeah. have three opponents yeah. and then you reveal what your commanders are and people immediately know what you're doing when you're on Rog Silas. Right. And you don't get it's game one just, for free, basically. Like, yeah, it's yeah. you. You've got to you've got to be able to outplay your opponents. And I just I, I I have seen Rog Silas be able to just go faster than because people just don't mulligan well. Uh, but I've also seen it where people mulligan correctly and it just it spins its wheels, it tries to go off once or twice in the first three turns. And then once you get past turn three, it just sits there and you're it, playing a three just, player pod. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it it runs like 26 lands like it's just it's I, I, I like it a lot. I think it's a very good deck. I don't think it's S tier, uh, but. Definitely respect the fuck out of that when it's in your pod. Uh, Next uh, commander on our list is, and we're finally getting out of Grixis. Uh, Now we're moving over into Corvold, the uh, Jund commander that uh, we all know. 
And uh, Ryan and Pongo gave it an A. I gave it a C. And uh, I I'm pretty low on on Corval these days. <laughs> Clearly, yeah. I, I really commander. Am, yeah. honestly, <laughs> how I, how I, popular is this commander on EDH rec? Just by the way. <laughs> I mean, you're yeah. popular and commander. casual commander. You're, you're oh, absolutely no, correct. Is, uh, yeah. I All can't right, tell no. you the last time I saw somebody playing Corvold in CDA. You obviously do not play with Jamaican dude that much. Uh, oh, I, that's correct. I don't play <laughs> his, with the Sean. His, his treasure storm um, deck is absolutely insane. I, I, I think that's ultimately my my thought is I think like it's really good and uh, like it's super powerful, but it just like, I think part of why I put it in fringe is because it kind of like, it is literally just a fringe commander because nobody plays it except like a handful of people. And like, I like if I were going to put everything that I thought was really good into every meta, like I'd have Arden Krom higher. Right. But I'm, I am like one of five people who play that deck. <laughs> I'm not going to say to put it on a tier list and go ahead and say like it's all these things for me it's you know fringe just based on that alone of it's not something you're going to see very often and I feel like Corvold very similar where if you're going to see a Corvold tur- or a Jund Turbonaz deck these days I feel like you're either seeing Dargo Ikra or you're seeing Rograk Ikra and mm-hmm. I, I have I have seen Corvold kind of fall off since Braden left CEDH, honestly. And I think that's that's ultimately why I put it in C tier. I think it's still just as powerful as it's ever been, but I don't see it enough to say that it's a a, a high ranking commander because I it it doesn't have enough results for me to be like yeah it's great it's amazing it's it's great on paper but as far as i like to my knowledge it's shawnee who plays the deck right so i I, that's kind of where i'm at with it but here's a a little fun fact though yeah if you go on the edh rec corvold page and you sort by expensive there's a Mm -hmm. thousand decks if you go on the roger silas page on edh rec and you sort by expensive there's 47 Okay. I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, from a results like, perspective. No, no, like, from like, is it a fringe deck or or do but, people but, play but this here, deck? Yeah. But, but here's the other thing. When you go, in, but I'm asking like from a tournament standpoint, like it, it just to me, and maybe that's just part of why I've thought about it in this regard is I just, I can't think of the last tournament I've, I've seen where I've seen Corval represented in any capacity. I could tell you the last tournament I can, I've seen that had a ROG, a Jund yeah, Rograk deck yeah. represented, uh, which is like the last three of them. But I, I mean, even a shiny isn't playing Corvold into these tournaments, right? Like it's, I, I just don't see it getting played enough to say that it's not fringe, I guess is my thought on it. I think Corvold also suffers the new toys problem. Yeah. Uh, where this this is a couple years old now, getting a little long in the tooth. Even though it's still a good commander, everyone wants to play with the new toys. What's what's coming out in Streets of New Capenna? What's coming out in Dominaria and all this other stuff? And people put this deck aside to try a new thing because they love to brew new stuff. And so I always call it the new toy. Yeah, people like to play with new toys. They like yeah. to play with the shiny. Mm-hmm. 
And so people and the metas will usually kind of shift back and forth on that. And a lot of people mistake that for being not good anymore. Yeah. When in fact, it usually isn't that case. People just they tried they wanted to try the partners or they wanted to try the new Capenna stuff. And and that's where you see things drop off, even though they may not have actually dropped in power level at all. I mean, I mean, that's why I have Zur in fringe is Mm -hmm. I I think Zur is still just as good as it's ever been. But I also because, again, like I've seen people starting to play it in a more controlly fashion, playing it to the strength of its colors. And but I don't see it enough for me to be like, yeah, this is B tier commander or an A tier commander. Like, I I just Mm -hmm. think it's like I, I from a power level perspective, it's absolutely up there. I definitely agree with you on that. But I guess I I was. I guess some of my evaluation is how f- are you are you going to see this when you go to Punt City, when you go to Oktoberfest, when you go to these events, are you going to see this? And I was just like, I don't think it's very likely you're going to see Corbel. So, I mean, that's I think to some extent, I- like a lot of the people who would go to tournaments like that are a little bit more invested in the format and, you know, subsequently might. Um, fall into kind of like what Ryan was talking about, yeah. or else they might just gravitate towards decks with blue as a result, um, mm-hmm. which yeah. probably uh, sort of self-select some of the Corval decks out of the pool. But I think that if you're talking about kind of like the broader, you know, worldwide CDH metagame, people really like their like commander-oriented strategies. Um, mm-hmm. And they really like, you know, their big FU dragons. Um, and I think Corvold kind of has certainly came over one. from casual yeah. and it was a really good segue because they were 50% of the way there. Exactly. Anyway. And yeah. so I think that, um, you know, Corvold is, is interestingly, this is kind of how I feel about Corvold where it's kind of like, it is what the Gitrog monster used to be before we got like crazy good red cards. Um, yeah. in the sense that like the Gitrog monster used to be a pretty big boogeyman of the format. Um, but obviously, you know, there was like, you know, fast blue decks that people played. There was five color decks like Tazri and, and, you know, Najil a little bit later that people played, um, that I would say sort of pound for pound were probably a little bit stronger. Um, but you know, their reputations kind of like precede them to some extent. Uh, and I think they also have just like a lot of appeal in the broader player base. And I think that Corvold certainly is that. and. You know, it, it just so happens that, you know, dragons and like giant like nightmare toads are like kind of similar, at least in if you squint your eyes a little bit. So I don't know. I, <laughs> I feel like, yeah, you know, it, it kind of just to me, that makes sense that like Corvold is sort of like, you know, the more modern Gitrog. There we go. Yeah. I, I managed to get our, our mention of the Gitrog monster. So, Ryan, if you have any comments you need to, to throw in here. <laughs> <laughs> the ball's in your court now. I, I, oh, okay. So since we're talking about get yeah. wrong, <laughs> I have no comments at this <laughs> So looking at the next little bit here, I think these are ones that we could pretty easily go through. Uh, but before that, we have Naya, which is Rocco Cabaretti Caterer. And uh, Bongo and I have this as a B. Ryan, you have it as an A. Ryan, what's your what's your kind of thoughts on this this bad boy? So they're having a 
tutor in the command zone of any creature onto the battlefield has unbelievable untapped untapped potential. Yeah. It can be almost anything. And it's flexible. Uh, so somebody Rocco's for two. Everyone's like, oh, he's going to grab a dockside. And then they don't. And they grab something else. And you're like, I had no idea that was coming. And it, it can consistently still always catch you off guard because it's so flexible in how it can play. And because of its flexibility, it can also pivot really, really well as well. Um, I have seen Rocco consistently win turn two and three like which seems so crazy for this x commander in the command zone but i've seen it do it and just win the game i've also seen it be able to be resilient enough to last the late game and still win and so i love that it's it's still kind of online at more stages in the game mm -hmm. and i love that you can tutor up your combo piece in the command zone or whatever toolbox thing that you might need at the time from the command zone and there's also something to be said, which I haven't really mentioned yet uh, in uh, since we've been talking today, is that there is a, definitely a fun factor to it. You can kind of build yeah. it to have a little bit more of your pet cards in there. You're like, oh, I really love the Emil Dockside combo, but I also really love doing the Vivian thing. And that's kind of a thing that some people do. And um, the fact that it can pivot on so many axes and that there's still so much untapped potential in there and still just good. It, mm -hmm. I don't see Rocco decks just flounder around and lose the game all the time. They usually are really good. They do really good things. Yeah. Um, plus, you know, it also runs go to helm and I really want that trader roll off there. Please remove <laughs> my trader roll from the red love discord. <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> but, but, but essentially that's, that's one of the reasons why I think it kind of bumps into an A because I just, I think over time as more and more people brew it, it's just going to get better and better and better. Yeah. Pongo, you and I both put it in a B. Why did you put it in a B? It's a high B for me, to be clear. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I think sort of some of my my issues with Rocco are the, you know, I've I, I played against it a, a decent amount now. Um, and I've noticed somehow it always seems to fall into problems with mana, where like, for mm -hmm. whatever reason, it just either doesn't have enough mana or it has the wrong colors of mana. And like you wouldn't expect that to be a problem in Naya, but for whatever reason in that deck, it ends up being a problem like surprisingly often in, in the games that I played against it. Beyond that, um, I've also found that for a deck that's like ostensibly a stacks or like mid-rangey deck, it's surprisingly soft to a lot of stacks effects as well. Mm -hmm. um, particularly the Dranith Magistrates, the Opposition Agents, as we've talked about earlier. Um, but also, you know, in many cases, Rule of Laws. And occasionally, you know, the collector roof type effects even. Um, now, naturally, you, you do have lines around those. But again, it's sort of like a compounding problem where, um, you know, if you're already stumbling sort of along one axis, whether it's, you know, perhaps you don't, you don't have enough mana or perhaps, you know, there's not enough like mana rocks in place or your dockside lines aren't going to be explosive enough. And now, you know, we're introducing like a rule of law into the equation or, you know, you or we're introducing... Um, you know, a Dranith Magistrate or an Opposition Agent that you need to answer. Like, it, it just kind of starts adding up. And the deck does, I find, um, suffer from being so reliant on Rocco in that respect. Yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense. I, I think for me, it's a... When I was going through and making these, is I think I just got to Minx first. 
and was like, I think Minsk is a B tier commander. And uh, like it was a really good B tier commander for what it's worth. It's a excellent commander mm-hmm. deck. Um, and then I got to Rocco and I kind of had that question we've kind of had before where it's like, OK, if I have this here, what about here? And this was one of those situations. We haven't run into a lot of those this year, but this was one of them for me is I had to ask myself if I had to choose between both of them because they're doing similar things, which one I would rather play. And I was like, I'd just much rather play Minsk. And like, so they operate, like, I think they're about the same, if that makes sense they're to me. Shockingly I kind of put them similar on. things too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just because Naya yeah. is shockingly weak to those. The one, the one thing I will say that I do think Minsk has over Rocco is the fact that the searchabilities that Minsk does because they're off of Rectors and Vivians is much less like completely turned off by an op agent because those are May searches. Um, and I think that plays a big role into why I prefer those. Uh, because if you uptick on Vivian, for example, your your opponent has to opposition agent before you even begin to resolve that ability they have to respond to the uptick so if they don't you get go go get your card man um and at that point you've won the game and to to me i like that it is a you may sacrifice then you do x so i can still uptick and i'm not getting completely screwed over and that is why i kind of lean a little bit more towards minsk is it's way more committed to the rector strategy, which I much prefer. And, uh, you know, Rocco is a little bit more closer to the food chain strategy, which I don't prefer. Uh, so that's kind of where I land on them. I think they're very similar in power level, all to the same stuff. But yeah, yeah that's that's where that's where I'm at. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's look at the next one. It is uh, a wow. We all had varying takes of this. Uh, Rograk Timna, uh, Ryan, or let's just start here. Pongo with an A, I have a B, and Ryan has a C. (laughs) So we have covered the spectrum. So, uh, so what you're saying is we all agree that it's not an S. We all agree it's not an (laughs) S tier commander. (laughs) We've, We've all kind of fallen there. So let's start here. Pongo. Why is this? Why do you have this as an A tier? Again, I, I guess it's important that you know somebody does the civic duty of not putting this so low that the next time you see it in your pod, you say, "Oh, you know, whatever. I don't need to worry about it." Um, this is still, you know, almost or just as fast as Roger Silas. Um, mm-hmm. If it's slower, it is not by whole turn. It is slower by you know maybe a fraction of a turn. Um, and, you know, arguably, you know, in some cases it might be faster depending on how the Silas deck is tuned. Um, so I think you need to respect this deck at the table. Um, and as such, you know, I would be remiss to put it too low, uh, and give people the wrong idea. I do not have that problem. (laughs) It's really funny. I want to go to, I want to go to Ryan's opinion on it because my, my opinion on it is so like simple that it, it it's not even worth like getting 
into the middle ground because it's not even middle yeah. ground. It's just simple. Uh, Ryan, what's your take on Rog Timna? I have opinions about Roger, and that's really a lot of the basis of this. Um, everyone loves Roger. There's no doubt that Roger has a lot of power of being a zero drop creature in the command zone and all the advantages you can get out of that. However, Roger also makes you lean into Roger a lot more. And that's where the uh, frailty of Roger Silas comes from is because if you you have to you play certain things that give you all these great boosts for having these for having this zero drop. Oh, my Infernal Plunge gives me three mana and my Culling the Week gives me four mana and I have a turn zero whatever. Well, this is Roger with that kind of lean in with uh, the idea that it's in Mardu. And so Mardu can be a strong color. I actually ranked him to Jessica higher, you know, mm-hmm. but it's the idea of the, the inherent frailty of already kind of a frail color combination mm-hmm. and having to lean harder into Roger that puts it into a world where I've seen it. I've seen it have no, constantly. I let me put it this way. I don't think I've ever seen a player playing Roger Timna ever keep a hand of seven. No. Like they always have yeah. them all so yeah. unbelievably low just to even be able to get something that does something. And it so it has the frailty to try and trade for that speed, but it finds itself at odds with itself all the time because of it. You know, some are running World Gorger, some are running Razaket. So it's I don't know why in the world part. you would play World Gorger in Rog Timna. There's no outlet for it. Like, it, it I have some no people idea. do. Yeah, it's, I've never it's, seen it's, the it's, World it's in the Mardu yeah. colors. Yeah, but yeah. certainly so, Razaketh in in almost every version of the deck. Yeah, yeah, and and so it's like, oh, well, I've got the tutor for Razaketh right off the bat with my zero drop. That's so great, and it's like all of these synergies that you lean into Roger for creates this frailty if something happens to Roger or if Roger gets interrupted too many times. You're sitting with these otherwise dead cards that are normally very strong in a synergistic way. And that's where we saw the inherent frailty with Roger Silas, but it had things like blue to back it up because, uh, you know, turn uh, and immediately on fierce guardianship is so great, you know, though. Anyway, I've seen too many, too much floundering from it in trying to go fast than I've actually seen it really just go fast and get there. Yeah, I'd rather have Jessica in the command zone to be able to get further into the late game, have the outlet in the command zone have the clearing the blockers for Temna attacks to get my card advantage. Uh, and when I say outlet, I mean like a combo outlet. Sink and mm-hmm. manages with Jessica. So I think Jessica is just so much more powerful in this Mardu combination with Temna than I find Roger. Yeah, I mean, that's that's not too far off from what I think. I think mine is just I've seen it just explode enough times that I'm like, it's enough that you got to respect it um mm-hmm. like is kind of how i feel about it um i really ultimately what it was is i put jessica timna as an a and i think jessica timna and i've always thought jessica timna was the better partner pairing of mardu and i think that rog timna is substantially worse than jessica timna and i i think it's still fine but i would much rather be playing jessica timna because of one, you have the, the mana outlet in the command zone, which is huge. But also, two, you also have a ability to mix up your game. Kind of what we were saying about like Tevish earlier, what you were talking about, where you're able to kind of choose which lane you go in. Jessica has that versatility of also just 
being a board manager, which I really like. Um, but that's I could I could talk about why Jessica's great for a long time. Uh Next up on our list is the infamous. We've talked about it a lot today. We've referenced it a lot today. Tim Nacrom, the Sands Green Boogeyman. You two have it as an S. I have it as an A. I, I, I ultimately think my opinion on it is I think what people try to do is they try to play Rog Silas and Tim Nacrom a, a lot of the time. And Tim Nacrom can't really support that, in my opinion. Uh, I think Tim Nacrom is best suited, very similarly to Armex Crom, best suited as a mid-range deck. And when I see when I see it have its most success is when it's playing a much more mid-rangey game. And I think the colors in the commanders trick people into playing it incorrectly a lot. And that is why I kind of have it lower. I think once people figure out, I, I really loved that Zane won, uh, I think it was Chaos with uh, Tim Nacrom, uh, won it with uh, Tim Nacrom, and his list was exactly what I would be playing in Tim Nacrom. I mean, I would probably be playing it a little bit more mid-range here, but that's also just how I play. But for me, Tim Nacrom really just comes down to, I think that it's misplayed a lot and misbuilt. And because of that, I I I think it should be an S tier commander, but I don't think it's quite there yet because people are still trying to make it a Grixis pile when it's actually a four color mid range pile is kind of how I feel about. It. But you know, I what are what are your guys' thoughts? What do you think about uh, Ryan? What do you think about Tim Nacrom? What? Why am I wrong? <laughs> quite frankly, there's really not a whole lot to be said that hasn't been said about Tim Nacrom at this point. It's just yeah. too advantages in the command zone yeah. the best colors in the entire format and the best cards i mean I and it's got the the support in white that allows you to do things like lock out opponents during your mm -hmm. winning turn which is kind of the only crux it, it it recovers well it sets up well it has card advantage like i said there's just nothing to say that hasn't already been said at this point frankly yeah yeah i mean i, uh, I disagree with callahan's um you know your your position that people are building it like roger specifically um, you know, my experience has been that people definitely play it much more um, of like a medium speed turbo deck, if you want to look at it that way. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, people I, I'm an I'm an old man. So I remember when people were playing Opus Thief. Right. Um, and I remember yeah. when people were trying <laughs> to play like the most mid rangey versions of Tim Necrom, you know, even like jamming humility and stuff like that. Um, that was and like I, <laughs> I don't think that those are better than what we currently no, I, have. I, so I disagree with the notion that we should be going more mid rangey from where we're at because I've seen that pushed to its logical extreme and it makes the deck worse. So I think that I'm it just exists. asking for balance. Well, just that's bring it, it back to the middle. I, baby. It needs to exist like, in this sort of space where it is yeah. not trying to go as fast as Roger and it doesn't. And I and I have not 
played against that version of the deck in months now. Um, but, you know, people are certainly just playing uh, slightly more interactive versions of the deck, you know, leveraging the fact yeah. that they've got powerful draw engines um, that can allow them to pivot in, in that game plan. Yeah. Uh, looking over to the other four color Timna pairing that everybody loves to talk about. It's the tried and true Timna Thrasios, the old Sans Red was the boogeyman for a while because of Flash Hulk. Uh, you know, Pongo and I have it as an S. Maybe that's just because we're mid-range players at heart. Ryan, you have it at an A. Uh, you know, is that just a proclivity towards a faster meta game? Or, you know, what are, what's your thoughts on it? I had a number of discussions with the, with the PWP team over the years about Timothrasius and why we don't see it anymore. Part of it is the new toys problem that I had talked about previously, but also over the past, I guess, what is it? Three, four years now, all of the banger cards that we see in this format are red. Mm -hmm. Just underworld breach. And you know, I, I don't even have to go into all of it, like Docksides and stuff. All of the cards that have just been catapulting all of these decks into more and more power territory have usually always been red. And like, to be clear, A is not a bad ranking. We're mm -hmm. not talking like oh, yeah, this yeah, is a yeah. D tier deck on, on any level. It's just that I'm going to hold up four mana and then maybe activate Thrasios at, you know, at the end step just seems so slow yeah. in comparison to Chrom nowadays and things like that. And so that's why it's just it's kind of really it. It just hasn't been getting the toys that all the other decks have been getting all of just the banger cards that are completely shaking up the meta a lot of times. And it's just kind of sitting there almost in stasis, you know, waiting to get that next big thing to get it back into S territory. Yeah. A is still great, but there's just stuff that have been printed in the last four years that have just taken all of these other decks and wrote and rose the tide with all of them. And Timothy Rassius has unfortunately just stayed still high, yeah. just not as high as some of these other ones have gotten. I, I mean, mine comes down to my ranking of it as S and this is, I mean, Najila on its own, I have as an S tier would have it there anyway, but this is also an added layer to this. My win rate when I'm playing Thrasios Timna and Najila is significantly higher than it is on literally any other deck I've ever played. And so I think part of my ranking is because of how I play. I just sick robots the same way, right? Like sick is going to pilot Thrasios Timna better than anybody else. And I grew up playing in the, I, I came up in CEDH during the middle of flash Hulk hell. Um, uh, so I just have so much experience playing with Thrasios Timna that I, I just, I, I, my win rate on those commanders is so much higher that I've ever had with any other commander pairing um, is just kind of where it comes for me. Now, I think they're ultimately extraordinarily boring, uh, but <laughs> I, but that's a whole different thing. Um, I, I think Thrasios and Timna, I mean, it's interesting because like a lot of the more recent Thrasios and Timna decks that we've seen, um, I think their biggest strength is just how strong of a counter they can be for some of these faster decks in the format. Um, mm -hmm. and, and how little deck building cost there is for them to be 
built to do that sort of thing. Playing the things like Force of Vigor hurts so much less in that deck compared to like let's say something like Najila, for instance, um, where it's not a an offensive tool, right? It's not winning you the game. You're never really planning on using that to destroy stacks pieces for the most part that are preventing you from winning because you're playing Thassa's Oracle, Demonic Consultation type lines that you can assemble in many cases through a rule of law. So you don't care to remove that rule of law, right? If you're just going to resolve, for example, a Divining Witch or a Sacred Guide and then resolve uh, a Thassa's Oracle on a subsequent turn and activate. Um, you're using these tools and the collector roofs and you know the yeah the uh, force of negations and and all of the free counter magic just to be disruptive and then you're playing you know in my opinion the best cards that you can be playing alongside timna which is mana dorks um having your mana acceleration also couple as card advantage uh is so powerful um and and you know, in addition to that, you can do the same thing with all of your hate bears. Um, you're basically just playing a synergistic pile um inherently because of all of your creatures, uh, and you're sort of playing a creature-based strategy anyway. And even your hate yeah. pieces that you're playing and your interaction are so easy to support and so easy to offset the card disadvantage aspects of because you're two card advantage-based commanders. Um that I just haven't found that Thrasius and Timna, despite not necessarily getting so many new toys, you know, I haven't felt that they feel like they've fallen off as a result mm-hmm. because they've adapted to the metagame with existing the existing card pool. I'll say this, and this is where I'll leave it. Every game I've played on Thrasius Timna where I have resolved a Seedborn Muse, I have won that game. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah, um, I mean. <laughs> yeah, that's that's but, where I'll leave it. You know, that, that's the uh, thing. They're they're really it's a great deck to mulligan towards relevant interaction with, and then to be able to recoup mm-hmm. the cost of having to mulligan aggressively, um, and then you yeah. know just have kind of that sense of inevitability through powerful cards like Seaborn Muse. Yeah, the last two cards. We're finally into the five color commanders here. First one up here is Cody Vociferous Codex. This is the one that took down Tier 1 Con. Was it earlier this year or last year? Last year. year. Um, And that is, so we've got an S from Pongo, an A from me, and a B from Ryan. Ryan, ranking this all the way down at just good. Why, Why are you so low on it? Cody is an incredible pain to pilot. Um, you can't just pick it up and just start playing with it. Uh, it's it. There's there's a really important restrictions on it that the deck still has, like you can't cast permanent, so don't cast that LED. Um, things like that. You have to sequence things properly, and if you pilot it right, you will play the least amount of magic that you've ever played <laughs> because you because you either win immediately, right? So turn one, turn two, up oh, game's over. Let's go. It's like a Nala, or you sit there doing nothing because it was all in on Cody. And you can't cast permanence anymore, so you can't progress your board state. And you're just sitting there playing no magic as a three-player pod. And so because of these these fidgety kind of aspects to Cody is why I ranked it at a B. I think that's fair. What, what, um, what do you what do you think, Pongo? Yeah. So is this another respect S ranking? Well, I, let me yeah, exactly. <laughs> let me finish and get my thoughts out here. <laughs> um 
I do think after tier one con, uh, people did 100% start respecting Cody, and it did feel like that deck became much harder to justify playing because, yes, you were kind of the arch enemy from the very start. Um, so let me just keep this short and sweet. Now's not the time to get complacent. Yeah. <laughs> Don't rest on your Cody yeah. laurels, people. Just keep <laughs> constant keep vigilance. That deck down. Remain vigilant. <laughs> There's always threat, and I, I kind of come down in the middle of there where it's like I, I, I agree with a lot of what Ryan's saying. Uh, is I think it's a little bit fragile. I think it's a little bit, you know, uh, I think in the hands of the of, of somebody who knows how to play it, it's not even remotely fragile. Uh, but I don't think most people know how to play it. Um, and that's exactly. ultimately the issue. Uh, the people who know how to play it are going to beat you with it every single time um and that's just kind of the reality of it but that those those people i know like a handful of them here to our final one is kenrith the returned king and we have an s from ryan an s from pongo a from me uh you know ryan why do you have this up there at an s like uh for for kenrith um, the CDH decklist database can kind of tell you everything that you need to know about Kenrith. You can build it a thousand different ways and it's still powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, building all of these flexible, you know, abilities onto this commander just makes it so such raw power that you can go stacks, you can go turbo, you can go five other different directions and still be able to utilize some of its power to cater to your strategy even more. Yeah. Oh, I'm in Adnos and someone knows that I'm in Adnos. I'll just gain five life at the end of your turn. And and be able to flip four more cards or something like just the raw power and the raw flexibility of being able to build whatever you want with Kenrith and it still be a force of the table really puts it into an S tier for me. Yeah. Pongo, you echo similar thoughts? Five color, baby. Let's go. Yeah. So it's King K rule. King K rule. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, 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 I agree with everything you say there. I think the big difference is for me is... I was very light with what I put into S tier. If you notice, I only put ranked three things as S tier. Um, and I think ultimately for me, where it came down to is when I looked at the five color decks and I was like, which one of these do I like the most? It was Najila and it wasn't even close. And I, I think Kenrith is really good, but I think that it's mana cost holds it back a pretty decent amount. You lose access to the force of or the fierce guardianships, the deadly relics, the you know deflecting swats because your commander is so expensive, and I think that is to me something that I don't love as much, but it's still amazing. Like the card is still really good. I just don't think I was very picky with what I put into S tier this year. Well, that about wraps things up for this week's episode and this year's tier list video. Thank you so much to Ryan from Playing With Power for sitting down with us and going through this again. Getting to do this every year with Ryan is always a blast. We always have a good time. If you liked this episode or any of our other episodes, please make sure to rate the show on whatever podcast platform you are on. Or if you are watching or listening on YouTube, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and leave a comment down below tell us what your favorite part of the show was i also want to thank our top tier patrons justin adam hamden david snavely dianichis jason bialik 
Josh Stein, Matt Boehner, and Senior Coupon. If you would like to support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash the mind sculptors, or you can check out the link in the description. Thank you again for joining us and from all of us here at Mind Sculptors. I'm Callahan, and we'll see you next time.